0: Everybody is recognizing, oops, it was a big mistake by the Trump administration to obliterate the entire infrastructure of pandemic response that the Obama administration had created. Why did he do it? Well, it certainly wasn't about the money, because it wasn't a— Heavily funded program. It was certainly because it was Obama's program. And explain, you're talking about the unit within the Centers for Disease Control. No, we're talking about something much vaster than that. It was a special division inside the National Security Council, a special division inside of the Department of Homeland Security that Bozo was talking from, and uh, collaborating centers in HHS, headquarters in Washington, um, the Office of Global Health Affairs, um, and the Commerce Department, Treasury Department. But what what Obama understood, dealing with Ebola in 2014, is that any American response had to be an all-of-government response that there were so many agencies overlapping, and they all had a little piece of the puzzle in the case of a pandemic—just do this mental exercise with me, Amy. If If we get to the situation where we're anything like what's going on in China right now, then our Department of Commerce, our Department of Transportation, and our Department of USDA would have to collaborate to get food deliveries all over America, so that parts of America don't starve. And you could see in china convoys hundreds of 18-wheeler vehicles completely full of food coming into wuhan every single day do we have the capacity to coordinate that what the Obama administration realized was that you can't corral multiple agencies and things from private sector as well as public sector to come to the aid of America unless you have some one person in charge who's really the manager of it all. And that in his case, it was Ron Klein, who uh, had worked under uh, Vice President Biden, and he was designated with an office inside the White House to give orders and coordinate all these various things. Well, that was all eliminated. It's gone. And now they're hastily trying to recreate something. And, and last night, there were many names tossed around about who he was going to appoint as head of the response. He had previously gone on the record, President Trump, saying, I have great faith in Secretary Azar and my HHS secretary will be in charge and we're told from multiple sources that right up until they got on stage for that press briefing Azar thought he was in charge and then the president says and here's my good friend Mike Pence and he's taking charge if the healthcare workers aren't really on their toes really alert thinking what if and they don't have the right protective gear then as they examine that patient they become infected and so This is—this is our problem right now. Now, this particular case in Northern California is very worrying because the individual lived uh, in a rural area, was not a traveler, didn't know any travelers, was a local worker of some sort—we don't know a lot of details—61-year-old male—and was in various health facilities getting misdiagnosed. And it was the health providers themselves who were saying to— Uh, The public health uh, of California, which was in turn saying it to CDC in Atlanta, we want this person tested for the coronavirus. We think that's what this is. And the CDC said, no, it doesn't look like it, and didn't do a test.
1: Hello. Greetings. That was Lori Garrett from a little over a year ago on Democracy Now, uh, kind of warning us about what could be with coronavirus. At that time, people were still seeing each other in studio on shows, and it was before New York really blew up, uh, unfortunately. So let me hurry up and bring on the panel today. So I start off with my co-host, my homie, my dog, Pascal
2: Robert. Peace and greetings to you, brother, comrade, Jason. How are you living, my brother? I'm all right. Doing all right.
1: Coming all the way from the upper northeast. He's a bit of a unicorn out there, folks. It's Marcus from the left flank vets. What's up, what's up, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on, the black guy in
3: Maine? Oh, you know, just keep myself uh, sheltered and bunkered, hunkered down. <laughs> the snow is melt. Uh, but, you know,
1: you still got to keep your eyes out. So, <laughs> and, and coming all the way live from South Side Sweden, you may know him as the predictor of collapse. We just know him as brother Andres, comrade Andres, mom. (laughs) Jason, Marcus, Pascal, Robert. Robert. What's going on? How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Very happy to be with you. No, man, we're happy to I'm happy to have you back Uh, last time we weren't able to do the show like this where people can can come on and and ask questions. I just recently watched um, from about a month ago, you were doing some sort of question and answer thing. And uh, I was telling my, my girlfriend, I was like, I'm surprised Andres didn't jump through the computer screen and start shaking a few of these people. They were asking like five questions at once. This old man was yelling at you. Oh, I know. I know which one that was. (laughs) So you have a new book out called How to Blow Up uh, a Pipeline.
4: Yeah.
1: And that was a big reason why some of the uh, people had an issue with you. I don't have that book. I haven't read it yet. I definitely have Corona Climate and chronic emergency, which I which I rather enjoyed. Uh, I look forward to reading about you blowing up pipelines, uh, like the weather underground. And uh,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pascal, you good?
2: I'm good, brother.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Pascal got some questions for you. I think they're I think they're pretty good questions.
2: Am I the only uh, one with okay. the questions today?
1: Uh no, Marcus. I, mean, I, actually, I, got, a, I, I Marcus got a lot. Of questions. A of questions I got a lot of questions. <laughs> when I told when I told Marcus you were coming on, he was like, "He." I called him today. He was like, "Oh man, I got so many questions for this guy." I, <laughs> so this guy. Well, I do want to say Ooh. one thing about your book that I'm that I, I I really want people to go out and get it. And there's links to in the description of the show, uh, to get to get uh, Mom's book. Um, you bring up some interesting questions about how northern western nations chose to fight coronavirus and totally ignore climate crises which ultimately causes these coronaviruses these are things that we're going to be living with for some time uh there was a lot of little clips of Lori garrett who i showed before i don't know if you know Lori garrett the the clip i showed earlier that woman i don't know if you know her um <laughs> <laughs> he <looks like> <laughs> um but she had been kind of talking about this not necessarily from your standpoint of more uh ecological collapse she does talk about it but way more of a collapse in uh infrastructure of public health sure um definitely from a global perspective um so it it, it those two voices i, I wanted to get you know show her before the show and then we're definitely going to yeah. get you coming from a different perspective. So Marcus do you want to ask a question?
3: Um actually I mean like at first I just kind of want to like recognize some like the message I think that you're trying to portray um is is that we're running out of time, you know? And I think like in in fighting on the left is something like Kropotkin wrote about. You know, it's like, it's just, it's just something that happens, but we, we now have, and we have, we've had for decades, the existential existential crisis that should, you know, start being, being people able to like actual, uh, center around and, and then say, Hey, we're coming together to, you know, fight against this thing. Cause like, that's at least what happens in all the movies, you know, yeah. but the space aliens are here. They are destroying us. Um and we still can't get our stuff together, um. So I, I mean, I guess, I, I my question is like, is is yeah, what what kind of made you like first realize like you know I guess hey if we don't do something drastic like we're we're kind of lost and like you know I guess utilizing, you know, a lot of leftist theory right you know, like some of these interviews I watch you in like. You're looping in a lot of different concepts, a lot of the buzzwords that leftism wants to talk about, but how do we be about that in this right now um, with the existential strike crisis of climate change?
4: Mm -hmm. Well, well, to begin with right now, I I don't know exactly what it's like in the US, but here in Europe, uh, for sure, the whole issue of uh, the climate crisis has receded into the background again, because everyone is uh, still just thinking about the pandemic, Um, and the climate movement that we had in Europe back in 2019 is still in a complete coma. Um, Oops, what happened there? We're still here. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, That was something strange that happened with my... Internet connection. Sorry for that. Um, yeah, um, and, and I mean, everyone is talking about uh, how to get a vaccine, and you know, uh, w- what kind of restrictions should be in place, and what sorts of lockdown and, and those issues. So the que- the question is rather: uh, Are we going to are we going to resume the climate struggle a- anytime soon, or will will there uh, have to be some really serious climate disaster for people to think about it again? And um, yeah, I, I I have to to tell you something that's that's uh, on top of my mind since ever since I closed that book, and it's it's the fabulous novel, The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. I, I don't recall if if I spoke about it with you last time. Probably I didn't. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. No, okay, good. Yeah, so that that book begins with the, the first chapter. There is a hyper lethal heat wave in northern India uh, set in in 2024 so three years from now and about 20 million people die within a week because the heat and the humidity reach levels that human bodies can't stand really and after that a real fight back begins so some some really pissed off young indian people form a group called the children of Kali. Obviously, this is a novel, but still. Mm. And they begin to fight back against uh, coal-fired power plants and private jets and uh, other, other forms of fossil fuel combustion around the world. And the question I think this bo- book asks is, do we have to see a catastrophe on the scale of something like 20 million people dying before a real struggle uh, begins to shut down the sources of emissions? And as, as reviewers of this book has pointed out, had pointed out there's nothing <clears throat> uh, very imaginative about a heat wave of this kind because we have one scientific paper after another coming out showing that uh, this is precisely what's going to happen in, in various parts around the world. And the the most recent study that came out about a month or so ago says that in the tropical zones of the Earth, we'll start seeing those hyper-lethal heat waves once the average temperature rise has exceeded 1.5 degrees and that's probably going to happen fairly soon uh, and uh, the, the Guardian which is like a major outlet for climate reporting, uh, uh, Julia reported this with the headline being global warming uh, threatens to make tropical zones uninhabitable and this, this, this piece of news was posted on the on the front website of Guardian below the latest intrigue from the royal house with the Meghan and Harry drama and all this but what, what does it mean that tropical zones are facing heat waves that uh, cannot be survived by human bodies well tropical zones that's where 40 percent of the population of I mean of, of all of humanity lives I mean the, this is a fairly significant part of the earth where quite a big chunk of uh, uh, of our species happens to reside it's just that, the, that those Populations; those parts of the species tend not to be white, uh, nor to be very affluent, comparatively speaking. But I mean, in any in any minimally sane society, you would see this news plastered everywhere. The tropical, the tropical uh, zones of this earth are heading towards uh, unbearably unbearable heat waves. Uh, scientists are telling us. And uh, yeah, the, the question is, are we, are we going to have to wait for those catastrophes to become really, really bad before we before we start fighting? Or can we perhaps try to, <laughs> uh, to start the fight before it becomes that bad? Because we know from these areas, we know from these parts of the world that the heat waves are becoming more intense and more frequent, not to mention the hurricanes, the droughts, the flooding, and all of these other... Uh, shitstorms going on. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the, the I don't know if this is a response to your question, but my point here is that uh, in a more rational world, we'd be out on the streets uh, fighting and struggling. Uh, it's it's not happening in the global north, certainly not in Europe, anywhere near the extent where it should. <coughs> uh, but sooner or later, it will ha- we'll have to, because otherwise, we're just, uh, we're, we're roasted.
2: Um. Oh, Pascal. Pascal's got a question. Yeah, yeah, I do have a question, uh, uh, brother, uh, comrade, mom. One of the issues you discuss in your book is how it was so much easier for the global elites to view COVID nineteen as a major life threatening event compared to global climate change. Fear of death governed COVID nineteen response, but not so much for climate change yet you show that there has been enormous loss of life due to climate change. Can you elaborate for our audiences what drives these different, differing responses?
4: Yeah, I, I think there are many different factors here. One being that the COVID-19 pandemic came at an early stage to Europe. To well, it, you know, it became viewed as a real disaster not when it hit China nor when it hit Iran, but when it hit northern Italy, uh, early 2020. And northern Italy is one of the classical affluent parts of Europe. And uh, since then, I mean, you've had all sorts of, of uh, elite members falling sick at an early stage politicians, businessmen, and this pandemic spread uh, via aviation so that. Uh, members of of ruling classes uh, perceived it as a problem fairly early on, unlike with global heating, where you've had uh, millions of people suffering and dying from this process, but they have primarily uh, been living in the global south. And then, of course, it has come to the global north as well, as we know, and not least in in the U.S. But the the structure is different. in that the, the early victims of global heating are primarily people of color and people in the, in the global South. Now, he, however, as you know, from my book, the, my, the, the argument I make, and I think that's important to stress, is that our states, our governments are not dealing with the drivers of pandemics. What they're doing is they're, they're dealing with the symptoms as in trying to distribute vaccines, and restricting contagion and those things. But they're not dealing with the causes that, uh, that create these kinds of problems in the first place. And in fact, those those drivers have only accelerated. So in 2020, deforestation in, in tropical regions, and that's the most destructive deforestation, the one that's most dangerous and creates most the highest risk for more zoonotic spillover. Tropical deforestation accelerated massively Uh, particularly in the the Amazon, but also in the Congolese Basin and and in in Southeast Asia, but particularly in the Amazon, largely due, of course, to the crazy Bolsonaro regime. Um, uh, But you would would have thought that one year into the pandemic, the the ruling classes would ask themselves, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? So you you would imagine that something like the, the, the World Bank or the IMF or the World Economic Forum or some other forum for the capitalist classes would take some kind of initiative to uh, go to the roots of this problem, but we're seeing nothing of that, absolutely nothing. So even if we're, uh, if we even if we were to deal successfully with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic in the short term by distributing vaccines and stuff like that and managing the pandemic and bringing it under control, we would surely see new outbreaks of Ebola. As we've, I mean, there there has been another outbreak this year in the Guinea. Uh, And uh, uh, other zoonotic diseases uh, uh, that are essentially caused by deforestation. Uh, And that that could certainly mean new types of coronavirus pandemics uh, in the near future as well. So at the end of the day, governments are as bad in in dealing, uh, addressing the drivers of uh, these pandemics as they are uh, in addressing the drivers of global heating. It's very similar. I mean, you, you have governments... Governments can evacuate people from flooding zones, as they did in Australia recently, and tell yeah. them to work from home, but they're not doing anything about the combustion of coal and, and oil and gas, or very little. Well, you made
2: a very important statement here that, by the way, I see almost never, ever highlighted, that the global south, largely the black and brown, people of color countries in the world, disproportionately are negatively affected by climate change. And that particular politics, racialized politics is one of the contributing factors as to why the global north does not take the issue seriously. am I interpreting
4: you correctly in that in that yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah let me just let me just make some shameless self-promotion here because uh, <laughs> I, I just uh, received the, my latest book from the uh, from the printer uh, the, the press, uh, and it's this book uh, uh, white-skinned black fuel on the danger of fossil fascism, where we make this wow. where we dig into this much deeper. This is not a book that I've written myself. I've written it with something called the Zetkin Collective, and we're, we're 20 people looking at the uh, the role of the far-right in the climate crisis, but more particularly, of, or more, more generally, of racism and uh, and precisely... Are we, we going to be able to get a, a complimentary autograph copy of that one? Yeah, for sure. You just give me... <laughs> Send me your postal address, and I will make sure they send you a copy. Two copies. Two copies. <laughs> oh. yeah, you're, you're,
2: you're copies. <laughs> well, listen, I'm, Brother, Mom, Brother Mom, uh, Mom, I'm glad you said that, because I'm going to skip to a question directly rooted in this. Yeah. Why is climate change politics, at least in the United States, frankly, so white? Is there any effective way to make the importance of climate change relative
4: <laughs> to black and brown communities? Yeah, it's a very good question. And we have the same problem in Europe. We have the same problem in Europe. Well, I mean, uh, the, the the climate movement, narrowly defined, uh, has has grown out of the white middle class environmentalist movement. Uh, it's become more diverse in Europe than that. It's not as exclusively middle class as it has been previously, but it still, it's it still has a massive problem of being disproportionately white, uh, and and I guess that holds for the U.S. as well. But on the other hand, I mean, you have uh, you have all sorts of environmental justice movements in the, in the in the U.S. as you know movements struggling against against environmental racism, obviously lots of indigenous struggles against pipelines and other types of fossil fuel infrastructure. So if you broaden the definition of the climate movement, it's not that wide any longer. But if you look at organizations like Extinction Rebellion, uh, Fridays for Future, 350.org, these tend still to be led by... Uh, white middle-class people. And that is a massive problem for the climate movement. Uh, And I don't think that, well, one thing that we argue in our book is that the climate movement really needs to address this problem. Yes, people in the chat are writing Sierra Club Greenpeace, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, It's exactly the same thing there. Uh, um, I mean, the climate movement needs to find a solution to this and uh, hook up with the people struggling uh, against racism in all its forms, because the far right, this in the US, I guess, would be, I mean, the Trump Republicans, all all the defenders of white supremacy, including the cops. Joe Biden. uh, Yeah. I mean, these forces are also the forces that defend business as usual most aggressively. I mean, it's the same cops that... that, uh, kill people of color in the U.S. that defend the pipelines and, and all of that. Uh, and we, we have this similar situations in Europe, although it looks a little bit different. So for the climate movement to struggle successfully against the far right, it needs really to transcend its whiteness and uh, um, uh, become, uh, yeah, conc- in, in more concrete terms, allied with the struggle against racism. This is one of the things that we're arguing about.
3: Well, this is something that uh, and I was talking with Jason this morning a little bit that I've kind of just been rolling around in my head because uh, at, at a lot of points, the left, we end up talking from issue and then trans- tran- transitioning over to fighting the ideological right. So like understanding that their concepts, their beliefs do fall under an umbrella, but as the left, that's not so true, right? Like we talk about climate activists. We talk about social, you know, racial justice activists. We talk about these, uh, you know, housing activists, all of these things are separate. And I, 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 my question is, do you think the battle against climate change, because it is, this is the existential threat, you know, racism can continue on and with with black people staying alive you know but not in the context of climate change (laughs) you know so like uh gender gender pay gaps those can those could could theoretically continue on in perpetuity but not in the in the concept of climate change so how do as the left we end up you know i guess becoming that umbrella with that focal point of 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 the the biggest existential risk and then transcending down, but also too, is like, not just about, Hey, how do these effects of climate change, you know, mostly hurt people of color, but also too, how do the fixes, right? How do these, you know, oh, if we're, oh. you know, could snap the finger, how do these fixes also speak to where we need to go, right? Where do we actually, you know, be able to say, Hey, we do have a jobs guarantee. You oh. now do have, you know, guaranteed housing and all these things. And because we are trying to combat, climate change and just be able to exist on this planet as a species
4: Uh, first of all i think you 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 made a really important point there that the the temporality of the climate crisis is different from almost any other problem that we're contending with because it's wired to get worse you know for every gigaton of co2 that's put up into the atmosphere it gets worse Something like a gender pay gap, or I mean, a, let's say the the occupation of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, or even police brutality in the U.S. can hover around a kind of a terrible average for decade after decade, but global heating cannot. It can't. It can't stay at an average. It's it, it's inherently set to deteriorate and and become exacerbated. Uh, and that means that uh, the it's quite likely that. Uh, that the climate crisis will more and more dominate uh, politics uh, which obviously in itself is tragic because there are so many other struggles that need to be fought but because it has this this uh, spiral built into it the risk is that it it, it it will more and more take over and in the end because it's it's so existential you will uh, you will see people ch- trying to uh find ways to survive this crisis and that's when all the other kinds of antagonisms including gender and race and class and all sorts of other antagonisms h- explode with a particular focal point so i don't i don't think that that what this means is that when climate takes over and becomes like the big framework the big cauldron in which we're all boiling all these other issues these other dimensions will become less relevant to the contrary i think you know when the climate crisis really intensifies and becomes razor sharp, that's when when racial aspects, for instance, uh, will will be more most uh, prominent as well. Because the, the far right, this is again one of the arguments that we're making in the book. The far right has taken upon itself the task of defending fossil fuel privileges, and and do, and the far right does so in in the Americas, in countries like the U.S. and Brazil, and in Europe. Uh, As part of its general politics to defend the privileges of white people vis-a-vis other non-white people, be be it immigrants as as here in Sweden, or uh, African Americans, Latinos, perhaps more more, uh, uh, in the US than here in Europe. Uh, I don't know if this is an answer to the question, but... um, Lots of things to grapple
3: with. Yeah, that's like, I don't know that there's like, you know, a a strict answer, you know, it's just kind of like something that I've, I've, yeah, just been thinking about because, yeah, uh, yeah, it seems that there, when we talk, you know, a lot of people, you only go back in history and you talk about the most successful, you know, movements, how how to coalition build and stuff like that. Um, And at the end of the day, you're not going to, you know, pack a real big punch, you know, with the, the fingers spread out um and and if yeah you know if the battle against climate change could be the catalyst for the left to solidify based off of a the existential crisis you know that it gives us but also the way that the solutions can speak Mm -hmm. to the the specific grievances within these you know issue areas whether you are you know uh Native, and you want your land to be healthy again, uh, toward, you know, yeah, a jobs guarantee, housing guarantees, to having health care for all, you know, like we can understand that if we're going to battle against this thing that's going to, you know, eradicate our species, we need to take care of ourselves in order to, you know, do so.
4: Yeah, I think that's that's part of the logic of uh, things like the Green New Deal.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah
4: and, 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 I, I don't know what you uh, comrades in the u.s how, how you perceive that biden's infrastructure plan if if it has an element of that or not, not yeah we,
2: we're gonna get to those we have those questions prepared
4: <laughs> yeah but i mean it, it, <laughs> i do about this plan because i i don't i don't know it closely it have you followed
1: biden's infrastructure plan real close marcus
3: yeah uh and it's it's tough also now, you know, like with with what they have now, you could basically say it's inadequate just off of number scope. Uh, and. But really, like Congress has to write this stuff up, they say, we want this amount of money to go towards uh, this uh, government action, uh, you know, and this agency is supposed to do this and this. They just talk about goals. It's on Congress to actually write this out. You know, they don't know whether there's going to be one bill, there's going to be, a, a you know, a series of bills or it's going to be a packaging, you know, an omnibus mm-hmm. type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what Congress is cooking up now. I think what do they say uh, by Labor Day, maybe, or maybe okay. I think of the wrong one, um, but either way, the next like month or so. Uh, Memorial Day, excuse me. They they like they they want they want something kind of on paper that they can start debating and and X Y and Z. But large cash giveaway. The fact that they're saying you know this amount of money directly towards uh, electric vehicle, you know, but they're they're not actually dealing with Amtrak. You know, like it's it it seems very like hopefully unserious and and very much just a a this is what we're gonna do. That's unsatisfactory.
1: I know there was a lot more train stations. We're going to have and that- a train station and, uh, and not like train stations like you have, them, uh, uh, Brother Andres, but uh, like old school train stations. No. Like chug- it, chug- it, chug-
3: yeah, chug. And that's like that's that's one of the things that really pissed me off, too, because like with the trains, with the trains, Amtrak made a response when Bo- Joe Biden said, hey, this is what we're doing. Amtrak made a response that with this allocation, this is what we can do. And all that was were were plans that they've been long been ignored, right? There's no nothing new. There's nothing innovative. They're saying, hey, we've had this broke shit for about a decade now. And if you're going to give this money, we can finally fix that. It has nothing geared towards actually solving problems.
1: And and the problem is because Joe Biden is president, not Donald Trump, um, there's just very different media coverage and a Mm -hmm. different media spin. So from the right, it's just hate. And and kind of make-believe lies that this is all some sort of grand socialist plot uh, thought up by AOC. So this, you know, very powerless woman in Congress. And from the, uh, I wouldn't say the left, but from the opposite of whatever... Fox News mainstream media is it's, it's a lot of back padding and oh my God can you believe how large this infrastructure plan is this is mind-blowing this is the first wonderful thing we've seen since since FDR and the building of dams um, mm. you know and and highway construction so uh, I'm going to move out of the way and I'm going to uh, let brother Pascal ask a question
2: Yes, Brother Mom, still on the question of the, the racial nature of yeah. the movement. Do you dis- distinguish environmental racism and an, as an issue distinct from climate change that should, should not be addressed in tandem? And don't you think that perhaps including that issue in the climate change debate could increase the diversity of the movement?
4: Certainly, certainly, certainly. Uh, I, I I don't want to make any sharp distinction between uh, environmental racism and and climate uh, racism uh, one of the arguments that we make is that environmental racism understood as you know uh, the 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 archetypal yeah. pattern being that you locate a refinery or a toxic landfill or some other uh, heavily polluting and uh uh, toxic installation in uh, uh, in a district or neighborhood where people of color live. That is, I mean, that is incredibly similar to uh, the the worst effects of global heating playing out in in, in the parts of the world uh, where where people of color live. And that that's of course what happens in in the global north as well. But there is another component also. We argue, and that is that. Uh, The the far right, which is really what we are zooming in on in this book, the far right has uh, a a deep psychological investment in fossil fuel technologies that goes beyond the negative side effects hitting people of color. So, uh, for instance, the far right both in Europe and in, in the Americas tends to love cars uh, big cars brutal cars preferably SUVs and almost revel in the uh, in the in the power and, and wealth that these machines uh, seem to reflect and the also the the uh, emissions that they cause uh, and we we trace this back into history where you see we talk about a, um the development of a kind of fossilized whiteness where where whiteness as a a social category emerged in the 19th century uh, or not emerged, but developed, further developed in the 19th century uh, to some degree based on steamboats and railroads and other kinds of fossil fuel technologies that were used to uh, subjugate different parts of the world. And uh, we we trace this this tradition of uh, a kind of white nationalism, white supremacy, based on these machines into the present, and how it's expressed by by the far right. This is not this is this is not essentially different from environmental racism. It's just one one another another aspect of it, or another another uh, f- version of it. I would say.
3: Uh and speaking of that do you think um there is a a a possible transition happening in the likes of uh people who like revel in being like literal comic book villains i.e jeff bezos elon musk musk especially who is willing to say we will coup whoever we want you know uh and and, then speaking of uh like literally stealing lithium, uh, from, from Bolivia, um, and, and, and their popularity as these geniuses that will be able to usher in, you know, the technology that we need. But if you're going to individual electric cars, you know, in, in his Hyperloop thing, you know, obviously that's not the answer. Um. Yeah, but you, do you think that's contributing in a way, or possibly even transitioning? You know, from this fossil fuel thing to this yeah. mega, you know, tech genius. Um, and yeah, trying to put all of the eggs in that basket.
4: Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, the, there is uh, a movement back and forth. You could say almost like there is a movement between uh, Democratic and Republican presidents in the U.S. There is a a move. Within the capitalist class, between sometimes denying that there is a problem at all, this is what you see with Bolsonaro, for instance, still in Brazil, and with almost yeah, with most of the far right parties in Europe. And then in the next moment, you have members of the capitalist class saying, "Well, we know how to solve this. We're going to come up with the perfect technologies." This is the Elon Musk version. You also see it from Bill Gates with his recent uh, mega bestseller, "How to Avoid Climate." Catastrophe or disaster, I don't remember the title. And these two polls, they kind of uh, stimulate each other or feed feed off each other. And uh, none of them represent a real solution because none of them really goes to the, to the heart of the ecological crisis, or of the problems. That's not to say that I would rather have, or it doesn't matter if, if, the, if it's Trump or Biden in the, in the White House or that I, I could just uh, as well have Bolsonaro as Elon Musk. Obviously not. But uh, because the sort of greenwashing element of, of this uh, doesn't really solve the problem, but just uh, puts a nicer veneer on business as usual and lo- allows for continued expansion, in the end, you will end up with more um, material investments into the fossil economy that will have to be defended when 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 the battle starts for real uh So there is a kind of dialectic back and forth between the greenwashing side of it and the well. There's not a problem. There's no problem at all. We're just going to to defend it, uh, defend all of it. That that would be my thing.
2: Excellent. I had another question for you, Andres, if you don't mind. No, sure. Sure. Do you agree with the Naomi Klein concept of disaster capitalism from her book Shock Doctrine? Do you see the COVID crisis as a way for capitalism to reify itself? Do you believe international elites view COVID as an economic opportunity for realignment of capitalism?
4: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think she has a very important point. And I think, uh, I mean, the, the core of her argument, if I don't remember incorrectly, is that capitalism is extremely effective at seizing the opportunities of various types of crisis. Uh, to further entrench the power of capital, and uh, you know, uh, impose deregulations and things like that on people, and that uh, capitalism is much more effective in in, in, in seizing these opportunities than its enemies—that is, we are, because uh, we tend to see something like the COVID nineteen. Pandemic or the financial crash that happened back in two thousand and eight as opportunities to advance our positions, but re- rarely is that what what happens in the end. Uh, now, uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, there are all kinds of attempts by by corporations and regimes and and uh, yeah, governments to to use this pandemic to further their own interests, uh, and and uh, that's that's what we need to. Uh, try to fight back against, um, exactly how to do so under conditions of a pandemic uh, is difficult to say because uh, still here, I mean at least here in Europe, we have very little of social movement mobilization happening. I mean there there are some struggles going on uh, for instance in, in the UK around uh, police legislation and new, new laws for, that allow the police to stop protests. We have some demonstrations happening in Germany around housing and rents and stuff like that. But generally, it's all just in paralysis. And that that makes it difficult to wage social struggles uh, during these crisis conditions we're seeing right now.
2: Are you familiar with the concept that many people, some on the left, some on the right, are using, referring to the uh... Uh, global, like Davos types, the Great Reset, that there mm. is, which is language that they actually use, that there is a quote-unquote great, that COVID provides an opportunity mm-hmm. for a great reset, a resetting of capitalism. So, I mean, some of it is conspiratorial, but it's almost kind of insinuating that there is uh, an opportunistic uh, appeal by the Dav- Davos International Liberal Order to take COVID as a means to implement things like what some would call the fourth industrial revolution artificial intelligence transhumanism etc etc so on so forth do you find any compelling arguments as to why you think that it's possible or do you see that as something that is more extreme and it's it's it's, it's reality
4: well to be honest i don't know i i'm, I'm not very familiar with the concept of a, a global reset and I haven't seen, but I might be—I uh, mean, I might be ignorant here—but I haven't seen any reports or evidence that suggest that capitalists are pushing for artificial intelligence or transhumanism or 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 even automation necessarily as a result of COVID nineteen. So you would you will you will need to tell me what what this is all about because I don't I don't know anything about it to be honest.
1: The reset okay. theory, yeah.
4: It's, it's,
2: I mean, again, some people take it seriously. Some people consider it something conspiratorial yeah. that, you know, we, you know, some on the left will argue that we are in a quote unquote fourth industrial revolution yeah. and that basically technology is bringing us to a new level of sure. kind of uh, technological dystopia with capital, uh, AI, artificial intelligence, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. And that, what's the
4: link, what's the link between that and COVID-19? Uh,
2: the belief is that COVID-19 is because of, uh, Closing down of businesses, people not being able to go to work exacerbates or increases the speed
4: of that those developments. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, that might very well be the case. It's just that I have no knowledge about it. Sorry.
1: I get they're not talking about it where you're at. That's it. There's a few things that they don't talk about. About where Andres is, I had to tell him what a tanky was. Yeah.
4: <laughs> oh, I looked it up afterwards and found <laughs> out that, that, that's exactly what you're saying. Uh, well, yeah. Do you get called a tanky
1: now, Andres? Did they call you a tanky now?
4: No, I mean, it seems to be more of a US thing than a European okay. thing. Okay. We have, we, have, we, have we, have, we have no
2: real left in America. So that's why we have these ridiculous inter- <laughs> internecine fights. About stupidity yeah. all the time, yeah. all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but Andres, I, I, had, I had a more serious question to ask you before we had to digress into yeah. the questions about the great the great reset. But yeah. uh, the question I wanted to ask you is: that do you think that the American lack of reaction to climate change is due to the power of the fossil of fossil fuel capital? Or do you believe that there are other barriers to the development of proper response to climate change? Is that the sole barrier, or is there a deeper kind of almost cultural or sociological phenomenon?
4: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Very good question. I think that it's not the sole barrier, but it's a very significant factor in explaining why the U.S. has developed as it has. Uh, and uh, obviously, the U.S. is not the only country. I mean, if you look like if you look at a country like Russia, which is also in a sense a, a fossil fuel uh, state, because uh, oil and gas are so important to the Russian economy, climate denial and and indifference to the problem are almost state ideologies in Russia. Hmm. Uh, but it's it's it. So that is the the role of fossil of the fossil fuel industry in. Uh, in an economy and in a state is a very important factor in making that state uh, deny or delay the need for for addressing climate catastrophe. But yes, there are much deeper elements that come into play here as well, cultural, sociological, even I would say psychological uh, hurdles or you know blocks. Um, including I mean a a significant chunk of the US population the the Republicans most of the Republicans uh, as far as I can tell are uh, extremely deeply wedded to the idea that the kind of machines that we have the kind of lives we live our privileges, our wealth are all great there's nothing wrong uh, with it and uh, we can't we we can't countenance we can't uh, really contemplate the idea that this could be a source of catastrophe, and therefore we have to deny it. So I mean I think you saw that during the wildfires in Oregon, for instance, last summer that uh, affluent people in the in, in rural parts of Oregon uh, couldn't you know bring it into their heads that. Uh, what's going on here with our uh, our state on fire has some kind of relation to the cars we drive or the the things we we, we consume or uh, the kind of companies that that are in charge here. So instead, they had to invent the theory that these wildfires were were deliberately lit by Antifa people that are going around in buses. So there were all these conspiracies uh, about anti-fascists. Uh, uh, You know, igniting those wildfires, and that's exactly the same thing has happened in Australia. Uh, That that also is a country very, very deeply wedded to fossil fuels, and there. And then you have have a
1: far right president as well, too, right? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Very, yeah, with a with a climate line very similar to Trump's. So yes, out of this fundamental material power of the fossil fuel industry you get certain psychological processes that uh that stand in the way uh, f- b- block that block the path towards recognition of what's going on hmm. yeah i had a
2: follow-up question since you did mention russia yeah. How do you see how do you see the other petro economies in the world, such as Russia, Venezuela, Nigeria, responding to climate change? Do they have the same barriers that we confront the United States? I know you mentioned Russia, but perhaps you'd
4: like to elaborate. Yeah, I mean, uh, f- some of them are fairly similar to the U.S. I would say countries like Russia, Australia. Uh, to some extent Canada as well, even though Canada has, as you know, a, a liberal uh, uh, president. Um, but but the far right thinks and behaves in a similar fashion. When you go to countries like Iran or Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or Iraq or Nigeria, the dynamic is different. These countries have a lot to lose if the world economy were to shift away fundamentally from fossil fuels. Uh, so they're not they're not doing anything to hasten that process, but they have a, a different political cultures, different histories. So you don't. See, I mean, you, I, I would be very surprised if there. At least I haven't heard anything about there being, for instance, a, a, a far right in Nigeria that denies the climate crisis so as to defend fossil fuels. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. And uh, in Venezuela, obviously, it's very different. The left. Uh, Whatever you think of of that regime, the left that is is in control there hasn't, as far as far as I know, engaged in any kind of explicit climate denial. And in in the Middle East, the uh, utterly corrupt and reactionary regimes, so countries like Saudi Arabia or Qatar or uh, yeah, Iran too, for that matter, uh, they don't they don't tend to in, to engage in climate denial. But they—they've sabotaged the climate negotiations that have happened in the UN and that have been going on forever. It feels like. And uh, obviously, these regimes have uh, very important material interests to defend. Uh, so that's—I mean—that doesn't make solving the problem any easier when you when you think of these regimes. It's—it's it's incredibly difficult to see something like a climate movement emerge in a country like Iran or or uh, but- Saudi. Arabia.
1: But do you think some of the why too, these some of these kids that you name don't deny c- climate change yeah. is because that they're the ones that are kind of getting the brunt of the changing climate, right? the deserts are getting crazy hot you know the countries they're next to are either yeah. sinking or you know water level is rising or yeah. they don't have drinkable water or as as you talk about early on in your book you know you got these locusts <laughs> in the horn of africa yeah. destroying millions of, of acres of land yeah.
3: it, and like uh, well this is especially too is like when you talk about africa uh is something where I see, yeah, a lot of these things connecting from, you know, the the center point or, you know, ground zero of the uh, climate change, you know, kind of like being like Sawhill region where you like Lake yeah. Chad. Um, it's like shrunk from like a, a small ocean to a puddle. Uh, and also, yeah, the, where a major focus for the, you know, U.S. Uh, defense industry um and and also ever expanding and you know yeah it's kind of this one you know thing where the bombs are are landing physically in this area the effects (laughs) green bombs thank you elizabeth warren um the uh the effects of the bombs are landing in this you know the the uh the 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 secondary of the climate crisis and all that stuff like that Mm -hmm. the way that it feeds into just yeah the
1: Oh, Deep State got him. We lost another black man to the Deep State. (laughs) There he is. Oh, we're still good. Uh, See what happens when you speak too much truth? Oh, they just shut me down? We good now? You got shut off. Your internet (laughs) totally shut off. Oh, dang. They they flip a switch (laughs) in the Deep State war room. (laughs) Yes. We Uh, got a Negro that's talking too much truth, (laughs) and there's too many white people in that room. (laughs) Well, hey. I'll
3: shut up, just don't put me in the van, okay, um, <laughs> but but uh that's you know i and I you know I, I guess I'm going even back to the you know the initial point I was making is like why I see. You know, this climate crisis can be, you know, this umbrella, but it needs to be, you know, it, like those those different I- issues, those different, you know, intersections, they also need to be, you know, forward facing. If it's in the umbrella, like the panels of the umbrella need to speak to uh, those specific uh, issues. That's a nice way to put it, fence. I've been working on this one. I'm telling you, like it's been in my head,
1: you know, this egg is boiling. Yeah. i'm'm I'm, I'm actually sad to say uh andres i'm not i don't know if you're familiar with the green party in the u s
4: uh vaguely very superficially familiar with it yeah
1: uh the their v p candidate was was trying to come on the show today but she had uh she had to work huh so uh she's she's gonna try to check back in so if we're still on she's gonna see if she can she can get back on yeah. well
2: but speaking it's of, time, okay? speaking huh? of the game, Speaking of the Green Party, the question I want to ask you next is what are your thoughts on on the Green New Deal that has been proposed by the uh, Sanders coterie of uh, politicians, which they got from the Green Party, if you have investigated it? Do you think it's a serious attempt to challenge the climate catastrophe, or it's really just political shenanigans?
4: No. I mean, I'm I'm supportive of, of the Green New Deal as a political... Project and framework. I'm not an expert on it, um, but I, w- I wouldn't just dismiss it as shenanigans and as as uh, empty rhetoric or uh, parliamentary uh, games or anything like that. I, I mean, if if we were to get like something like the Green New Deal as it has been outlined by AOC and and Bernie Sanders and others in the U.S., if that if that were to f- actually be launched i think we'd be very much on on the right track uh, obviously unfortunately Bernie didn't, wa- didn't win and and jeremy corbyn who had a very similar plan when he was the leader of the labor party in, in the uk didn't win either so uh, nowhere has anything like the green new deal been tried from a position of power from from an actual government that doesn't mean, I think, that we can now give up on the idea. I think there's still a, a lot of value in that project. And, and what's most important with it, and this is what I th- think makes the Green New Deal slightly more attractive than degrowth, for instance, is that the idea with the Green New Deal, as, as I understand it, is to align the project to make a transition away from fossil fuels with the material interests of the working class and the majority of working people and redistributing power from capital to labor in in various different forms and i think that will have to be necessary if we're ever going to ram uh, this transition through because uh, otherwise i mean we we can't we can't get into a fossil free economy if it doesn't improve the lives of the majorities of working people in our countries that have uh, had their lives uh, screwed up by, uh, by itch for quite time, quite some time now?
3: And well, I've got some of this, but like a broad uh, question for for everyone. I'd like you know uh, to hear everyone's thoughts on this. Is that you know in the like the you know perfect world, could you see uh, this type of like Green New Deal large scale? Infrastructure focusing on material conditions of the working class that be used as that transitional program to an actual, you know, socialist or communist state. And in my head, you know, where I think could happen, I think of things like in my community, if if if, hey, we focus and said we could do offshore wind what comes with that a huge robust manufacturing uh footprint Mm -hmm. necessary to make this project happen once that's done once it's built you still have some of that that needs to be dedicated to maintenance and Mm -hmm. you know the ongoing operation of those wind farms but then what you have left is a huge manufacturing capability but right who controls it and as that transition comes from project you know completion to what do we do with it next, you know, in this perfect, yeah. Could, could you, you know, if this starts to think, could you see that being a transition to actual?
1: Well, I would want to ask this question also. I want to add this on. I don't, I don't know if you saw the planet of the humans documentary. uh, Andres, did you watch that? No, no, uh, but I've read about it. And yeah, yeah. So they, they actually talk a lot about, you know, the transition and how a lot of these green measures aren't that green Um. So that's another question I have for the Green New Deal. When it comes to this, like, is there going to be pushback that the measures that that would be used in this trans transition wouldn't be "quote unquote" green enough?
4: Yeah. Okay. So two two questions. But if if I begin with the latter, well, I as I said, I haven't watched that film, but my understanding of it from what I've read is that it paints a picture of renewable energy as environmentally destructive that isn't yes. entirely accurate yeah i think there have been major advances in renewable energy technologies that seem to be completely left out of the picture of this movie and has received a lot of criticism that seems to me fair and the idea that is apparently peddled by the, the movie that the problem really is overpopulation is one that i find extremely well erroneous flawed and dangerous politically I don't
3: like that i don't like that at all
4: yeah it's and it's. I mean, it's it's basically not true that that it's overpopulation that is the problem. Uh, so I, I'm I'm not saying that renewable energy technologies don't have any environmental imprint that is problematic. They do, but nothing compared to fossil fuels. I sometimes some you you could say that shoplifting and genocide are both crimes, but you you can't compare them. And it's similar with with the with the solar or or wind on the one hand and fossil fuels on the other. Uh, we need to replace fossil fuels with renewables. And part of that is shutting down the fossil fuel industry. And in countries where you have major corporations that are privately owned and that profit from fossil fuels, what you need to do is you need to take those companies under public control. And the, the, the way to do that is to nationalize them, to take them over. So in the US, this would mean... Uh, the state taking over Chevron and and uh, uh, ExxonMobil and uh, Occidental and uh, uh, ConocoPhillips and all the others mm-hmm. and tell them you can't go on with this any longer, you can't take up more fossil fuels out of the ground because they're, they're cooking us. So we're going to take your businesses over and transform your organizations into completely different kinds of entities that that do something else such as taking co2 down uh, out of the atmosphere instead now would that be compatible with capitalism or would it start a process that leads beyond capitalism as in a, a transitional process towards something like socialism or communism well we don't know we can't i, I can't i can't say that i know as a for a certainty logically that this means the end of capitalism but it seems that. If such a political process were to start, it's very difficult to conceive of of it right now, isn't it? That you would see the U.S. state taking over these companies, uh, or the French, or or the, the the British, for that matter. But if something like that like that were to happen, then I mean, we're talking about some serious infringements on private property rights, and uh, you know, change in in property relations that might well, uh, I mean, it, it's it would be riding a horse that might well run out of 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 the box of capitalism who knows
1: now you you i'm sorry i just want to i just want to kind of follow up with this um you wrote in your book uh, <coughs> corona climate chronic emergency war communism in the 21st century and you i wouldn't say you would know better than me caught a little bit of heat for your idea of eco-leninism or or war communism when it, when it comes to these things is, is, and this is what you're talking about right now with the state taking over some of these private yeah, industries, yeah, 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 yeah. Pascal, how do you feel about that?
2: Well, I mean, as someone who is, you know, a socialist, uh, you know, the state taking over private industries is not something I'm afraid of. But you know, some of us on the leftists call that state capitalism. I'm more interested in a situation where there is worker control, in which yeah. actual the population in general and laborers as well as citizens have shareholder control and voting, pro- voting, voting control. Of private corporations, as opposed to simply saying the government owns, owns these corporations. I have my my ideal economic paradigm is a, is a cooperative economic model in which the shares of all of private corporations are divided in thirds: one third to the public, one third to the government, and one third to those who originally financed the company with all vi- well, all voting equity. So I'm not, you know, state capitalism. What we had in Russia, it's what we have in. In uh, China but it's not socialism it's state capitalism Mm.
4: yeah uh, I'm in sympathy with that but if you I mean you you could potentially have a situation where I mean let's just uh, play with the imagination here where ExxonMobil and and Chevron and those companies were controlled by their workers but these workers would still want to continue taking up oil and gas because that's that's what they know and that's what they've been doing for decades Mm-hmm. then that still wouldn't solve the problem. I mean, w- if you had oil and gas and coal corporations owned by their workers, uh, you would still need some kind of a state mandate or, or, uh, or planning to uh, take these companies away from fossil fuels. I'm not arguing to abandon
2: the state mm-hmm. or abolish the state. What I'm saying is that ownership of the means of productions should be cooperative between citizens, workers, the state, and the original uh, private investors. The the state can still direct the ideological infrastructure of society and propose propose policy. But what I'm saying is that in terms of the question I was asked is that what do I think about state takeover of private resources? And I said, that's not socialism, it's state capitalism. And Mm. I I would uh, require more of uh, citizens and workers have ownership control, direction, and vote in the policy and the way to change the climate policy would be to use political suasion i mean yeah. as we as we would do even if even if we even if the state took over these companies we still have to convince the state i'm sure. saying now we don't have to convince the state we have to convince the citizens as yeah. well as the state
3: uh, yeah this is well this is a something where there can be i think really a there needs to be a concerted effort about just education of, of, of what you know socialism what these things actually mean because you know you ask any any worker on the line hey what does socialism mean to you and you could get something from you know my union is socialism to uh socialism is the devil you know, to someone saying, Oh, well, you know, that's if I got to decide what we make and how we make it, and, and, you know, the rest of my other work co workers got to, too, you know. So that's like one of the part things, too, is just like most people don't even know what we're talking about. Um, and there needs to just be like a little like physical effort, and, you know, and that's kind of where I am saying is like, if you have these big structural changes, uh, I just did a fucking Elizabeth Warren. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> if you have these, these huge, uh, projects that you know that show the collective effort you know um would it be then? you know i think it would be then easier to say hey comrades we just made this shit we all just decided it was the best for us why will we now just hand back over decision making power you know and it's literally like well if they want to tell us hey we're going back to building bombs or well, we're not coming into work today or when we come into work guess what we're making other shit we're making refrigerators
1: well well let, let me let me ask let me let me play this for you guys real quick it's only like a minute it's uh can eco-socialism save us hold on one second save the world hold on one and then i want to get your guys's take you can hear yes And there's something interesting about this video that we talked about with Cuba uh, the other day, Pascal. I don't know if you remember. We were talking about um, how the U.S. hates hippies. And there's something about the ecology movement that's still based in this idea of a granola eating, tree hugging, hemp wearing hippie. Crunchies. Right. White person with dreadlocks really fucking annoying and (laughs) like that image is really damning to a lot of the talk of green new deal because when you hear the pushback the pushback really is do you really want to listen to a hippie well i'm talking about the mainstream media pushback what do you think about that uh pascal
2: i think it's a consequence of what happened with the new left in the 60s that the movement Shifted from the 30s and 40s when it was focused on workers, to in the 60s when it was focused on college-educated kids, and that was the problem.
1: No, I, I agree because when you look at like if you just look at it from a pop standpoint, right? The 80s, which is the victory lap of conservatives beating the new left, all you see is images of just kind of silly, ideal, idyllic. Uh, children in their in their uh, funny hippie-ish ways, doing their drugs, <laughs> listening to the Grateful Dead, and not I would really argue that
2: people. the left still suffers from that today in America because it's mm-hmm. basically a bunch of university-trained and professional managerial class, petite bourgeois adjacent. You know, you know, some want to believe they're intellectual types, mm-hmm. yammering in about working class. You know, politics and policy while the working class is becoming more and more reactionary because none of this politics is being made to address them in a way they understand
4: it or find it attractive. P- Pascal <laughs> and, and uh, the, the other comments, do you know uh, Matt Huber? you know him?
1: Mm-mm. friend of yours?
4: Yeah, he's he's in Syracuse. That That's, uh, isn't that close to Maine? It's up, yep. uh, yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: that's, yeah, that's
4: he he is writing a book that's pretty angry with the climate movement for being precisely this kind of hippie, uh, professional, managerial class phenomenon that has turned its back on the working class. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you should bring him on the show and, and discuss these things uh, with him because he, he has something- Well, hook that up. Hook that
1: up. If that's your boy. Hook, hook it up.
4: Okay. <laughs> Jason's going to send you an email. He's a good dude.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. get on his show and, and talk yeah. that shit because this is something like re- reading your book i really i really enjoyed your book and i've i've been recommending it if you listen to this show for a long time you know i i often talk about it especially when we talk about things like covid and how this is the new norm in the world and in the in the states where we don't have a very good public health infrastructure let's let's we don't really have a public health infrastructure. This shit is frightening. And this is the first time, and and you talk about it in your book too, this is the first time that capital had to fucking freeze. Mm. Mm. And in a panic, the first thing that our government did was bail out industries. Mm. Big business got a huge fucking bailout Mm. on the backs of of the citizenry. Mm. And as you write about coming collapse, and and our friend Michael Harris writes about coming or collapse from the the stance of using pop culture as a grand narrative, I think there's something to be said about watching a movie like the fucking Hunger Games and saying we're a lot more closer to Panem than we are to shit, anything else. Like, to think that any sort of nationalized health care <laughs> is some sort of authoritarian uh, uh, reduction of your liberties is insane.
3: Yeah. Well, this is where like, I, I, I go back to like the education thing the people just don't see things as they really are. You know, if, if the, if the workers, if the postal workers got to decide who was on the board of directors now we're talking about things like we're actually talking about like socialism you know like yeah. if, if 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 and like that's that's something that can happen and like i i'm gonna be talking with uh uh some some of my former uh colleagues it's like why isn't this a law why isn't this even a bill well, yet yeah, that people are talking about um the VA, another thing that I talk about that's like from top to bottom, the hospital directors, the people who are managing the whole system, everyone is a government employee. And it's not necessarily, hey, this is just government doing stuff, right? Because, hey, the people, right? Me as a veteran utilizing the system, I have a say in how it is run. If something's not right, I get to air my grievance. You know, is this effective? Is it perfect? Absolutely not. However, we have to understand in the United States, like there are things, that it's not necessarily just, oh, hey, the government does stuff, it's us doing stuff for ourselves. It just happens to be the uniform that we wear says USPS or veterans veterans' affairs. Um and then expanding on that. And like a healthcare, that is that is another one of those things where hey, that's a panel on the umbrella to say one thing guaranteed healthcare is a response to what the climate is already doing right if you look at the the communities that are most impacted by the corporations that are polluting you know who lives around these who are these people working for you know and 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 what is their end end of life after work right look like you know people with lung disease all your jo- joints are bad and broken and so even with the healthcare that is another thing is it a, is it a direct response to climate change and also uh, as a goal of saying we can't fix this problem if 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 we as a like labor force aren't healthy enough to actually do the work
1: and and someone asked a question uh and someone asked a question uh comrade mom uh, and and you had mentioned this in your in your book about uh blowing up pipelines that just pisses off old white leftists apparently um <laughs> I should put a link up to that video. That's pretty funny. Um, that that when you talk about the destruction of property, uh, you had mentioned uh, a lot of the things you had saw in the states with uh, Black Lives Matter and the and the police protests that happened in this past summer. Um, did you want to get into that as far as like a strategy?
4: Yeah, sure. So so, how to blow up a pipeline is a brief intervention about tactics and strategies for the climate movement that came out. uh, I mean, that book really is a product of what happened in 2019 with the mobilizations around climate. And uh, there you had the hegemonic view being uh, what's sometimes referred to as strategic pacifism. And the idea there is that if you have a social movement that at any point starts with militant tactics, engaging in anything that can be defined as violence, such as destroying property or confronting the police or uh, in any way... Deviating from absolute nonviolence, the movement will immediately lose popular support, alienate its base, and become a fringe phenomenon without influence. This is the the notion the the idea of strategic pacifism and it so happened that in twenty twenty that that theory was massively disproved by the Black Lives Matter movement uh, as at least as as seen from here. Mm. Because in in, in my understanding, what really changed things after the murder of George Floyd was the, I mean, the whole, the whole insurrection that happened in Minneapolis that of course included burning down a lot of property and uh, most prominently taking over the, the, the third precinct police building and and, and burning it down. And that, that that storming, a poll showed it had the support of the majority of the Americans, as I'm sure you, you you saw. And, of course, it didn't piss people off. It didn't scare them away from the streets, but to the contrary, drew them into the movement on a scale we've never seen before. And, yeah.
1: But the pushback to that is that yeah. now, because yeah. l- let's also keep this in mind, and I think these things are, are a little different, right? I yeah. think police violence and and Environmental issues yeah. are different from the standpoint of. I think it's different when you talk about chaining yourself to a pipeline. When you talk about some of the shit like the plowshares people do when it comes to the anti-war movement, spilling your blood everywhere, and 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 that's different than burning down the grocery store in a poor black neighborhood.
5: Sure, sure, sure. You, sure. you know
1: what I mean. And and the people that are doing it don't fucking live in that neighborhood. So I, I think there's a difference there. And we have to keep in mind that. The pushback they're getting now because another in the middle of the fucking trial, the police just shot another kid. Whoa. Right. And now you see the National Guard out there and they're not fucking around. Whoa. And because of the way. And this is just my opinion here because of the spin that happened, because, you know, they did. They burned down whether they burned out McDonald's or some shit like that. They burned down the police station. Um, and it has been found out that some of the people that were burning down the shit causing a lot of property damage were not even part of Black Lives Matter or even Antifa. It was some of the boogaloos and yeah, and
3: what? sometimes it was like a
1: cop on, on one a of cop. them. Yeah, like the yeah. auto zone. I don't know if you saw that video. Yeah, where he was breaking out just this other yeah. guy was breaking out windows in an auto zone, just, just happened to be like a, a fucking cop trying to trying to start shit. So now you're seeing the National Guard there, and there's some actually really frightening images of them, you know. Explain it, Marcus. You can explain it better. So, basically, what
3: they're doing is a control point. Um, You corral everybody at one side, you know, have a whole lot of, you know... You're basically making sure no one can move from one side of the security to the other without getting checked. And you see, you know, women just being, like, put on their knees, hands behind your head. I mean, like, that is... Which, yeah, you know... I. I got nothing other to say, but the chickens have come home to roost. You know, the war on terror has come home. Mm. And this is where, you know, I'm, mm. I'm, I've, I've been rethinking, you know, a little bit of like, Hey, what is the effectiveness of a bunch of people getting their ass kicked by the cops and thrown in prison? Mm-hmm. It, you know, and if it is, if it will show, Hey, guess what? White people, your lives don't matter to the cops. This is no longer a black lives matter thing. Now it's a hey, guess what? Your life don't matter either, right? so so if it becomes a clear and it's only done so because they get bloody nosed or you know get locked up,
1: I don't know. Is that building possibly and, and also and also I'd like to when we talk about the environmental movement, I think another big thing we saw in the past year was the uh, Dakota access pipeline. And the massive private policing pushback that those people faced. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever spent time, you know, I know uh, Brother Mom has, as he lives in cold ass fucking <laughs> <laughs> Southside Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> but, but when, and I had, I'm a Californian, I found this out the hard way uh, working and living in North Dakota, but. Water <laughs> is very bad in a freezing environment, and these fools were hitting them with uh, with water cannons in like negative thirty uh, below zero temperatures. Uh, pepper spraying, like they were sicking the dogs on them, and no one covered it. No, it, it was not covered outside of Democracy Now. Had some decent coverage of it. Say what you will about Democracy Now. But mainstream media, for the most part, didn't really cover what was going on in North Dakota with that access pipeline. Um,
2: Go ahead, Pascal. Not unless you watch Democracy Now. Yes, I
1: said they're the only people that really covered it. Uh, Brother Mom, you want to say something?
4: Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, there are all sorts of differences between the climate problem and the problem of police violence against black people in the U.S., one of the more notable differences is that we will never in the climate on the climate front have a film clip where you see a fossil fuel executive for 8 minutes strangling uh, an indian farmer or a kenyan <laughs> a pastoralist or a, yeah. or a Haitian worker or something like that to death because the violence in the climate crisis is not directly personal one body on top of another it's it's indirect. It's mediated through the atmosphere. That, that violence, and I actually believe it is a form of violence, but it's a structural mm-hmm. violence that happens when, uh, uh, when fossil fuel companies um, and uh, pr- predominantly rich consumers release CO2 into the atmosphere, and then the, the atmosphere is saturated with carbon, and then it strikes people uh, around the world <coughs> and the global south. Now, sooner or later, people, I think, will also see that it is a form of violence and fight back against it. And I, I mentioned uh, early on this novel by Kim Stanley Robinson and his point, as I understand it, with, with that uh, beginning, with that uh, introductory scenario of that lethal heat wave, is that when, when people start dying in really big numbers, then large scale fossil fuel combustion will become widely perceived as a way of killing other people. And uh, that's the point in the novel where the fight back begins. Obviously, yes, there will be a major problem where there already is a major problem with repression with state apparatuses cracking down on uh, on all all kinds of organized dissent. Uh, and uh, yeah, some reviewers of, of of my pipeline book have been upset with me for for taking this issue of repression lightly. I I don't think I am, but my point is that no movement that has confronted deeply entrenched interests in society have been able to avoid the factor of repression. We in the climate struggle will have to to grapple with that problem uh, and the repression might very well become ferocious. That doesn't mean that we should desist from militant tactics and sort of neutralize ourselves and be gentle and timid and, and, and peaceful and kind, because that's that's not how you overcome deeply entrenched interests either. Do you worry um, about people, people branding,
2: branding yourself or people who act that way as eco-terrorists?
4: Yeah, uh, of course there will be people who call uh, uh, someone who engage in property destruction eco-terrorists just as, I'm sure there were quite a lot of people who branded BLM terrorists in in the US last
1: year. Yeah, they do.
4: <laughs> they are. They are. But, but terrorism is, is killing innocent people indiscriminately to intimidate and uh, instill fear. And I'm not. <laughs> I'm not anywhere close to arguing that that's something we should do. Uh, so in my book, I I argue that uh, the climate movement should should desist from well, well, it shouldn't even ever consider doing things like say assassinating fossil fuel executives or something like that just just as BLM activists didn't go and assassinate cops or send suicide bombers into police headquarters right but but the the violence that that existed in the BLM movement movement last year targeted police property and businesses and I know some of that 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 looting was problematic and I know that some of it could be pinned on, on undercover cops and things like that. But I think there was a genuine movement of militants, genuine element of militancy in confrontation with, with police and destruction of police property. That was quite widely understood as part of a justified expression of anger in the U.S.
1: I, f- I feel like there was a there was a, a moment and I, and I feel like it was fleeting because here yeah. and I can't speak for where you are. Movements get co-opted real fucking quick by capital. And as these protests started to blow up, not just and, and let's keep one thing in mind. George Floyd gets gets killed by police on camera. It's not like he was the first person in Minneapolis to catch an ass whooping or a bullet by police in the last few years. Philando Castile gets killed on Facebook Live by the police for saying, hey, man, not only do I have a gun, but I have a permit for said gun. Let me get you said permit like I'm trained to do. And okay. then a cop puts a bunch of hot ones in. Okay. So. The city blew up, of course, as most cities do, but the world didn't blow up. Mm. And there was a lot of I think the lockdown had a lot to do with it. I think Trump rhetoric had a lot to do with it, you know, hearing it ad nauseum about who the bad guy is. And the world kind of blew up for a minute. And for a minute, there was a there was a feeling of like, wow, we've never seen this before. Where across the country there's massive movements. To say no more. And to really have um, a change in the way we view policing. And that got co-opted oh so quickly into, in this time of crisis, Netflix is showing Negro movies. <laughs> in this time of crisis, Ford Automotive wants you to know we have black people in commercials. Sure. You know, Pascal, I know you got a few words to say on this.
2: No, absolutely. I mean, the, the notion of capital uh, co opting, neutralizing, demobilizing radical political activity, particularly black radical political activity, goes back to black power, the Ford Foundation, goes to the civil rights movement, goes back to the ph- philanthropies in the early 20th century with the NAACP. Uh, so, um, you know, capital is always going to try to neutralize uh, anti status quo political activity. But uh, the question is, is that are the radical foundations and ideological foundations strong enough to confront that? And the question needs to be asked is that are we looking for reform or are we looking for revolution or are we going to be satisfied, satisfied with reform if we consider ourselves to be quote unquote revolutionary or, or, or is, or is, is, is uh, reform simply the goal?
4: Let me just say that you, the, you see the exact same co-optation with the climate movement in Europe with someone like Greta Thunberg being, yeah. uh, you know, every every bourgeois politician want, wanting to take a selfie together with her and uh, and trying to yeah stand at her side when in fact they're just presiding over ever more fossil fuel uh, production. So yeah, yeah. Th- just as we will have to struggle with with repression we'll have to struggle with the uh, forms of co-optation and integration into the ruling order which is what consistently happens to the left yeah. regularly in these large capitalist countries Sure.
1: especially when you have a real left
3: yeah <laughs> this but, but and I, like this is this is this is what i want you know this like we're the g- only ones that are going to do it. Right, we're the only ones going to talk about it. How do hmm. we actually get there, though? Right, and this is where: how do we focus a message that speaks to all but has a unity in the goal? Because we mm-hmm. can talking what we're against. Everyone can watch uh, someone get murdered on TV mm-hmm. and say that's bad. It's real easy. We're never going to fix any of these problems unless we can quickly, succinctly explain to our comrades in whatever. F- you know, form that they come in, understanding that this is a collective effort that yeah, it's 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 literally just necessary or else, hey, zoomers, grandkids, you don't get them. Yeah. Like yeah. we gotta speak to everyone to the well, to the well, unified well, goal, or we or we lose. Is, so isn't how does that, that
1: was so interesting? And I, and I know you probably didn't see this, Andres so right before the George Floyd stuff happens, we have some mothers in Oakland, California that have common that had commandeered a house that was owned by a private corporation. Not too far from actually where I was living in West Oakland. And there's a there's a thing going on right now in this country where standing capital is literally buying tracts of homes. At one time, so developers are building the homes and instead of selling the homes individually, this just happened in Texas. They literally sold the whole track to venture capital. Venture Capital actually got quite a bit of money uh, when our first uh, bailout package happened. And now they're buying up music venues uh, with this money. And that's a whole other uh, conversation I'm going to have on another day. But there was a moment when we saw these moms take this house over and the police come in tanks with their fucking AR-15s and their armor. And you just see a handful of moms. And their children, small children, looking at these weapons. And the press finally got to it. Mainstream media finally got to it. It was so bad. Because the city of Oakland was like, look, we'll buy the house from you. And let these chicks live in it. And they're Hmm. like, no. No, we'll let them stay there for a few months. So because of all the bad press, because you got the fucking police in there with armored vehicles for a handful of unarmed women with their children. They ended up selling the the house to the city with land trust. And there was a moment where people seemed galvanized on that issue because of the imagery you saw, much like the sixties and dogs and water hoses. It -hmm. was very similar. And it's almost like that shit flips on a dime because then you fast forward Towards the end of the year, an extremely similar thing happens where in Southern California, uh, uh, the the Caltrans, which is the transit system throughout California, had purchased several houses through eminent domain 30, 40 years ago. They were going to build a highway extension, never fucking built it. So you got all these empty houses that they were for a while letting people stay in it's cold motherfuckers ain't got no place to go it's a pandemic you can't even wash your ass in the gym because the gyms are closed the public bathrooms are closed this is a problem so some again some moms took over some empty property and again you get the police the sheriff department and I believe the Caltrans uh, police department to evict on Thanksgiving a bunch of moms. And it's almost like Caltrans knew the playbook, and it doesn't get the national attention that these four moms in West Oakland got where CNN is doing coverage and Fox News has to do coverage. And it was only I only knew about it through people that were literally involved in the movement of trying to keep these people in these homes because of the work that I do with 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 uh, or did with with unhoused. And and I know some some activists out there in Southern California. So. It's interesting to me that. The media sphere is so strong, even on this left tube shit bread tube, whatever fuck motherfuckers call it that something like that that really could galvanize people behind real movements no one wants to talk about because it's not as hot of a topic you're not going to get as many people watching than if we talk about snuff films of black kids in the street nobody wants to cover india it you might get a show you might get a segment but you got farmers before those farmers went on strike. What were they doing in India? Andres, you know, they were fucking killing themselves oh. by the thousands. Who wants to talk about that? I feel like sometimes we're the only people that talk about Haiti. Those aren't our popular shows. They're not. We talked about Haiti and we talked about can't nobody want. I don't know how many people are going to watch this show. I hope a lot. Because this is an important topic. But if I wanted to talk about fuck the police. Oh man, everybody's watching. I'm getting super chats left and right. If I want to talk about uh, uh fuck AOC and everybody that looks like her. Oh man, I'll get money left and right. But when you talk about the real problems that are causing things that are keeping us locked inside. Mm.
2: It's frustrating. Well, of course. All
1: right, that's my random.
2: I, I mean, I, don't
3: know.
1: I think, I think,
3: I think like, like all these things, they need to be connected. They need to be able to be connected because like what Jason, what you're talking about is, is the same thing as I, like I'm saying is like, it's, it was real easy for people to look at four mothers and some kids and say, we are against those people being unhoused. They're not making that the, the next leap. It's not even a leap. It's the next step. If I am against these people being unhoused, then I need to be for everyone having a house. You know, and that's one thing you don't right. Everyone understands we are now against George Floyd being murdered. We're against uh, Adam Toledo being murdered. We're against all the thi- all the people being murdered. But what are we for? Are we for a environment and community that doesn't need someone to show up with a gun? Mm. I mean, hell are we even dealing with a community that doesn't need to criminalize or bureaucratize transportation, tra- uh, individual transfer uh, porting themselves from one place to another? Like, th- so that, that thing is, like it's, it, we only can talk about the problem as we are against it, you know? And, and, and I mean, what well, like, like Andres mentioned it before, you know, you know about the climate thing. It was like, we're not focusing on how do we not or make sure that this doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And and really, it's like you name the fucking issue. We focus on the problem. We say this is this is bad and this is what we're against because that gets clicks.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Doesn't solve any problems. Doesn't move the move the needle any, any, anywhere. And, you know, we're still a bunch of different groups dealing with a bunch of different issues that are all intrinsically connected
1: i couldn't agree more are we firing you up andres are you getting fired up over there <laughs> <Go> <laughs> no, another book. I you. <laughs> you're writing you're writing a ton of books right now i'm sure your
4: wife is mad yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i've also been on parental leave for about half a year now so
1: oh okay so at least the
4: house is clean
3: what is that you pa- 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 parental what when so, so when leave? I when
1: I when I first reached out when I first reached out to to Andres, uh, I I wrote an email and you get an auto response and his auto response is like, "Look, bitch, I'm on leave, <laughs> and uh, I may not get back to your ass real quick, because where I live, I get to actually see my kids grow." <laughs> <I'm> just
3: rubbing <laughs> it in on us like that. Really
5: <laughs> it like that. <clears throat> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pascal.
2: No, nah, man, that's Swedish social democracy, man. The, you know, the standards people love that stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, I am not good enough. You got you know
3: well this is like that's like one of those things too, is that it comes with like uh there's like one of these little like things that like that nitpick, you know, that that, that the left never gets past, right? Because there's so, you know, you'll have one person trying to explain to their, you know, coworker, oh well, hey, you know, there's these other countries and they do these different things and blah 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 blah. And then you got like the leftist chain smoking cigarettes, like that's not socialism. They, <laughs> those are just people who are who are still taking off of people from the global south. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, man, you're not wrong, but like, how do we how do we make how do we make this thing, you know, <laughs> get through an equitable uh, for everyone type of thing, you know, because like. Yeah. It, it, shitting on people in Sweden is it's that ain't it.
1: That ain't it either. Well, I mean, fuck man, there's a power in a hashtag, dude. And you find <laughs> like a hashtag that sticks. If you're trend let's just be honest, everybody. There's one of us that doesn't have a social media presence, and that's the only motherfucker out of three of us that's writing a book every five months.
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah, but how many likes and retweets does he got? <laughs> Sounds like zero. You got any viral? You got any, vi- oh, you got any viral? Oh, I got thousands and thousands of sales over my book. How many likes and retweets? many? I got ten k on some of these things, man.
1: How's your meme game? How's
3: your meme? How many memes do you make a day? I
2: will not eat breakfast to make a good meme. Uh, comrade, comrade, uh, mom, I want to ask you a question. What are your thoughts on the, uh, Bernie Sanders phenomenon, his coterie and his, uh, you know, various, uh, acolytes in terms of that development? Do you see it as a good political development in terms of left politics? Do you see it as, uh, you know, the, the capitalist hierarchy, just kind of coalescing and co- co- co-opting left rhetoric to maintain status quo neoliberalism? Do you think we're shifting uh-oh. Neoliberalism.
1: Uh-oh. Hey, the deep state got thoughts? you, Pascal. You need to ask that again. The deep state got you, Pascal. You got to ask again.
2: So do you, what, are, what are your thoughts on the Bernie Sanders phenomenon and the, the, the argument some make that we're shifting away from neoliberalism in the age of Biden?
4: What are your thoughts on Sanders and his coterie overall? What? Yeah. You guys know a, a thousand times more about Bernie Sanders than I do, but from from my horizon... He was a reason for some excitement and hope about things in the U.S. because he looked so uh, so incomparably better than, than Donald Trump, obviously, and uh, appeared to represent a genuine left force in U.S. society such as we, we hadn't seen before. But, of course, you could have all sorts of criticisms. Um uh, directed towards him and and his project as was the case with the Corbin project in in the uk now he lost as i said both of them lost so there i guess there needs to be some um, stock taking and and balance sheets written and and rethinking of strategy uh, but i wouldn't I, I wouldn't say that it was a useless undertaking to to yeah if, if my my perception from my horizon is that the Bernie Sanders phenomenon caused a lot of discussions about socialism and yes. less politics in the US yes. such as we we haven't seen for decades uh, and that's obviously a good thing mm, now Biden well uh, I mean i will be honest I, I was I was personally very hopeful. After the victory in Nevada, and thought that maybe Bernie Sanders could actually win the nomination this time, oh, and then yeah, so I, I sort of uh, lapsed into hope, and then uh, again we, of course, Biden returned and uh, and took over, but again from my horizon, mm. it's a kind of relief that it's not Donald Trump in the White House. Uh, it's I mean uh, his disappearance represents. A loss of gravitational pull for the far right, uh, including in Europe. Uh, And having Biden, it's not that I love Biden, but it's uh, obviously, but I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm quite enjoying that I don't have to see Donald Trump in the news every fucking day. Let me me ask you a question. At least it's a kind of mental uh, relief. Do you think it's possible that we could be in
2: an American Weimar moment? In other words, are we still. why
4: more? Why, more? Why, more? Why more? Well, that's that's the kind of analogy that you uh, you are very easily tempted to make, and we make it in our book, White Skin Black Few, because uh, a crisis like the nineteen twenty nine crash is coming i mean you could already say that it's here with covid 19 but but yeah the, the climate the climate crisis is an even deeper crisis than anything that happened in the weimar period Um and you have some similar forces lined up you have a very aggressive far right unfortunately what you don't have is a massive labor movement uh, with a with a very vibrant communist party and with at least a in some respects, a decent social democratic uh, uh, trade union movement as you had in Germany in the 1920s and up to 1933. So uh, there are no there, there are no exa- exact parallels, but the, the analogy that you can make is that you have a kind of liberal capitalism teetering on the edge and facing uh, deeper crises where some vested interests might... Uh, you know grasp for extreme solutions that's that's the that's the general analogy I guess Marcus you have something to say you agree Pastor,
1: uh, you?
2: oh well, I mean I, I frankly I don't think that we've escaped the dialectic between neoliberalism no. and reactionary nationalism
4: yeah
1: exactly. wow you want to expand on that a little bit
2: what I'm saying is that the rise of Trump, Bolsonaro, UKIP, Marine Le Pen, uh, uh, all of this constellation in the, in the wake of the austerity after 2008 created a global right-wing nationalist movement in combination, in, in, uh, in dialectical opposition to global neoliberalism that had been the 40-year consensus. So, I, and I think we're still stuck in that dialectic.
4: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Did you want to add to that, Andres?
4: No, no, no. no. I just, I mean, you, you're absolutely right, Pascal. And, and right now we're in this moment where this dialectic seems to have slowed down a bit. But I'm sure you'll see uh, f- uh, more signs of resurgence of the far right. So France is a case where you have presidential elections later this year. And as you know, Le Pen is again uh, soaring. And we'll see how that Not to be the Debbie Downer, but I make the argument all the time on the
2: show that the radical energy is with the far right, not the left.
4: Uh,
3: I mean, we don't have uh, a new communist manifesto coming out of the progressive caucus like the America First, you know, has has their own little thing that,
1: you know, like you're 100 percent right. A little bit more about direct action, wouldn't you agree? Like when we talk about honors right i, I mean was, i would say trying I to lied. kidnap
3: trying to kidnap a governor <laughs> of a state that that's some that is direct action direct
1: shit. action and this is me talking shit probably feels like i, I can only tell you this because this is what i know okay. i remember one year living in the studio and i think i've said this to you before marcus Um, it was a Thanksgiving or Christmas. I can't remember which holiday it was, but this rich dude had came in and brought, and and I live, well, not anymore. I used to live by this huge homeless encampment, Andres, Andres, huge, few hundred people. This rich dude had brought in a bunch of portable showers and these big fucking lights, right? Everybody lives in a hood. It's dark where you live, right? Mm-hmm. And he lit it up, and then they brought in arm <laughs> then brought like arm security because no one was allowed to take a shower until the press got there. Like that was a real I, I actually saw it. Mm-hmm. And the homeless people were so pissed off that they just said, fuck it. And, and most of them, not all of them, but most of them left. They didn't want to be there for this thing. The guy fenced everything off and He brought in all these news crews and shit. And they were like, fuck this guy. We don't want to fucking sit here and, and be part of his glad handing. And that's that. The right is into direct action. I don't agree with the direct action, but they're into direct action. And this can't be direct action on the left where it's like you're. You're constantly doing shit for the selfie moment, for the Instagram moment. And that definitely happened on the 6th with those riots, right? There was definitely people there like, get this Instagram shot, yeah. right? That, that's yeah. a thing that happens. Um, but and, and I don't think they had a plan because once they got in, what did they do? Oh, shit. The, let's just take shit on it. the walls. This shit, literally. But I I agree begrudgingly with Pascal that it feels like a lot of the energy for that shit is on the right.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and
1: I mean because they and uh, I'm
3: saying it again, I'm gonna beat my drum one more time. The right actually has a goal; they know what they want to move towards. Mm. They're not they're not like they're like yeah we hate seeing all these minorities around us, mm. and so our goal is the white ethno state. And they move towards it, not necessarily in lockstep, but at the very least, like they are just more in go moving in direction, you know, of of direct action, saying like, "This is what we want. We know what we want. Now we' time to start doing it." Mm -hmm. The left, we only know what we don't want. We have not congealed around the goal yet,
0: Mm -hmm. because like a
3: lot of, I think a lot of times too, is like we we reference the goal on something that happened with with some white, some dead old white dudes. (laughs) and and not paying attention to what they say because that's one of the things too is that like not being able to explain how communism socialism how these things apply to your life now i.e it may involve some fucking broadband and 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 some some high-tech shit explaining it how do people live right now with it you know what is the actual goal what's the like society that that we're moving towards going to look like you know, because if you could just say, listen, I'm against cops murdering fools, like it's real easy. I but think one of the
2: mistakes the left organized. I think one of the mistakes the left one of the mistakes the left makes is assuming that there is a left. We have leftists, there is no left in America. Just
1: different different groups focusing on their on their one viewpoint. Mm. I mean, you know, back to the whole like climate thing and how it just it just doesn't get coverage here you know we have one of the biggest lawsuit settlements in the history where uh where uh where they called Monsanto or Bayer had to pay out all that money because that uh, that cat actually not too far from me maybe about 30 miles up the road from me uh i don't know if he finally has passed away but he had uh, gotten a horrible cancer from years of using roundup and it was known that roundup was cancerous
3: yeah I mean, Monsanto, they made uh, uh, Agent Orange.
1: Mm. You know, Monsanto. The air made the cyclone with the poison in the gas for the gas chambers. Yeah. I mean, that's how they get started. And heroin, too.
2: But to be fair, I can't be totally fatalistic because I'm old enough to remember where you wouldn't even hear socialism, Marxism, leftism in American political discourse. The Overton window has shifted. It just needs to be more organized and structured
1: yeah, yeah I agree with that. no, that's fair that's fair uh do you, do you have time uh Andres or do you have to go?
4: Uh, I have some reproductive duties I should attend to <laughs> fairly soon well, you've been with us for a couple
1: hours there I appreciate it, man. Time yeah. flew by. I looked up, I was like, Oh, shit. I, I, I know this man's kids are gonna be running in in a little bit.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, you have when is your book coming out?
4: This new one, We White Skin Black Few, is formally out in mid May, so about a month from now. But it's Verso, Verso, yeah. Send me your postal addresses and I'll make sure you get copies. Okay. Oh, man.
1: Hell so, yeah. Marcus, just email it to me and I'll, and I'll send him an email. Cool, cool, cool. Same, Same thing, thing with you, Pascal. I'll send him. For sure. Thank you once again, comrade. Thank, Thank you so much. It's a real great pleasure. Conversation. Tell the family we said what's up. Yeah. Southside, Southside. Yeah. Enjoy that leave. <laughs> <laughs> Peace. And that was Andra's mom coming all the way from Southside, Sweden. <laughs> <laughs>
3: He's a rep your set up, Southside Sweden.
1: Southside, Southside. What would you do if you saw him doing one of those speeches at like a big ass college, and he's like, "I'm Andres from Southside Sweden." Bro, <laughs> <laughs> he needs
3: to talk shit, get banged, motherfucker. And then
1: <laughs> I just started going into a speech.
3: <laughs> I'm from Southside Sweden. Talk shit, get banged, bitch. All right, so now we're gonna talk about environmental, social. <laughs>
1: Uh, I dare you to say something. I will come in the crowd and uh, <laughs>
2: fire out of your eyes. Yes, yes. All right, this was a great show. I don't think we should prolong it with you, Negro, acting up right now. <laughs> <laughs> wrap it up, Dad.
3: Come on, Granddad. Come yeah.
1: on. Yeah. Hold on. I got a. I got a message from. I got a letter from the DMV. It's actually the government. It's a, that's the uh the far side of that joke, but public enemies. I got a letter from
2: the government the other day. How's it go, Pascal? Open it, read it. They said they were and said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Here's a grand deliver game a damn about me. I forgot the rest. Yeah.
1: Um Angela Walker hit me up. She's on her way back from work and she's like, I'll be there in 10 minutes.
2: <laughs> i love angela i love angela it's gonna be a whole new show
1: oh we were just gonna okay well let me tell her that we're going off because because you're tired
2: oh man, well, i'm not tired what i was saying though is that like we gotta remember she's from the green Sh- party great shows when they get too long it discourages people from checking it out
1: look i got some bad news for you one of our more popular shows five hours it's got more views. It's yeah.
2: It's well, a, million a, million a, million.
1: A long form shit is is some people
3: long like it, stuff it, that goes that's
2: because no. you 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 pay them uh, your rent with stand like that's, uh, that's what uh, hey
3: so 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 hey so what it, so you gotta listen to me, man. You gotta listen <laughs> to me. It can be done. It can be done. <laughs> people want to hang out with you, Pascal, for hours people all morning and all, you, all afternoon. They want to be with you. You should we'll give them. the people what they want.
2: No, they want to buy screen. me. A, they want to buy me an Ethernet cable because they say my Wi-Fi sucks. Let <laughs> hey. the people help you out.
1: These cats have no chill for the fucking internet. Because you know what happens? I'll I'll switch to your head. I'll switch to your face when you're talking. You're making this good point. You get all up in the camera, and I switch, and you get a and your fucking shit gets stuck. And Joanna makes a damn meme out of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens
3: but i mean both you guys need to do that though you need to plug your computer into your internet you know the wi-fi thing that, that ain't no. it
1: hey my shit yeah we got fucked up uh last last week on the on the uh on the bonus app or not last week the thursday on the bonus app and I, i'd like to say for those that are let me let me do this pitch right now if you're not a patron and i get it people don't have a lot of money in in time like this but if you if you can't afford it, the patron only content for Thursday, I actually sent it to you, Marcus. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it. That was one of the best conversations I've ever heard about colonialism, empire, the idea of white supremacy, uh, the myth of the broken black man. Um, what else? Pascal
2: talk to my deep conversations about haiti
1: it, it was it was shout out thank you very much Vlad Cliff. thank you thank you we appreciate you that oh be-
2: we got a super chat
1: today oh, this, this a lot man um that conversation right there because we had a show about canada and it and there's a few things you can say to pascal and you might be able to get it by one time but the second time and the third time, he's going to say something back. And our guest had said um, something about black people. No, it didn't say defective. What did he, he, he said
2: was, uh, say, uh, damaged or something like that. Damaged.
1: And it shifted the conversation a little bit away from Canada. But we had done an hour on the, the issues with Canada. A very good hour, I think. And Gene was in it. Cuba was in it. Definitely complicating a certain narrative. And there wasn't an angry back and forth. It was it was definitely a level headed conversation. Broken. Gene was,
2: was right. Said black people were broken.
1: Yeah. Fuck, dude. That 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 con- Marcus that conversation. Seriously, I haven't seen anybody have it because it's always like either like the white man and these cats brought it back to like founding religions and <laughs> the, the history of slaves and really mind blowing conversation. So if you are a patron and you watch that show, you know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, if you are a patron, you haven't watched it yet. It's definitely up. I think, I think the title of it is like, I'm sorry. Cause there was a crash at one point, but uh Amazing.
2: Pascal does not believe black people are either broken or damaged.
1: No, he does not. And that's what kind of pushed the conversation. Because, you know, often we hear the term white supremacy and we'll let people say it a few times and Pascal, as much as I give Pascal shit for being the angry guy, I'm totally the angry guy. Way more. Totally the angry guy. Marcus can attest to this.
3: I don't get yelled at again, so I'm not saying nothing. <laughs>
1: I'm, I, and I apologize for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We good. We good. And, you know, that time on his show, I was angry at that cat. I, that cat, fucking, I was listening to him talk that bullshit, and I didn't want to hear it anymore. And one thing I'll say about Pascal, he's way more eloquent than I am, even, you know, if he's not angry, but even as him being angry. He is not as furious, I would say.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, so like, I I mean, let's get away from the 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 specific issue, and and maybe just go to 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 the next level of like how how do we engage with people that may be you know a little misguided? You know what I'm saying? Because at that point too, it's like you got some people who hey, they're just saying like completely reactionary. They're just saying like this is not it but also hey this is someone's getting there they're getting to the right place how do we you know foster that growth how do we educate people cuz like that's you know that that's the thing yeah. it's like me being around y'all like i'm here to learn you know what i'm saying like it's just an extra icing on the on the on on the, on the cake that i get to throw out my two cents every once in a while but like at the end of the day yeah tell me i'm stupid and i fucked up i said something dumb i'm gonna learn you know i understand though that because I spent six years of my life of 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 people telling me I'm a piece of shit and I'm worthless uh, marine. you know, I can handle criticism, but that ain't everybody. So like, yeah, you know, when we talk about building the left and all that type of shit, you know, and like
1: you have to huh? be you have to have a certain level of like honesty about yourself and and i and I think I said this on the show when when me and you were having a back and forth that and we, in the back and forth, we're also laughing too. But I got too much. Uh, I ain't no punk in me. Sometimes that can be problematic, and a lot of people do.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't say uh, let's take it to the streets as quickly as Jason does. Jason's like, I'll come to your house and bust your ass. So I'm like, with <laughs> the, 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 the And
3: now, what is it about black culture that makes <laughs> you so angry?
1: <laughs> Speaking of, I ain't no nobody. Punk? Clip that, please.
3: Oh. <laughs> Hey, uh, here we go! Hey, no, no.
2: hey,
6: hey! Uh. House
2: music, all night, House man, music I, all night long.
6: I was so thinking of you. Um, You know my my truck's name is Big Maybell, and um, her my theme song for my truck is "Watch Out for the Big Girl."
1: Oh man! <laughs>
6: I was like I gotta tell you I have to tell him
1: about that So first of all I want to say thank you uh, Angela for for taking the time To to holler at us today I know Besides you Working a real deal Fucking job uh, You also have your social media And organizing uh, uh, Duties Um, You do the Two shows a week you do with Howie right
6: Eh, I've I've kind of backed off of some things just because, like, my average day is 11 hours. That's a short day. Um, today, like, just now because I just got off, I am at, if it's not 61 hours for this week, it's, it's 60. So,
1: and, and by the way, she was trying to get on in her truck, and there was just issues with her phone. Just, just to let, let you guys know, we, though.
6: for anybody on my job that's watching and ready to finish, <laughs> just so y'all know, I had my hands free. The camera wasn't finna be on. None of that. Just so let, be let's all. be clear.
1: It didn't work. It didn't work. So, but that's I don't know. Like I, I, I always big you up because we appreciate you. We were talking about your ass the other day in a good way.
2: Did you like the show today, Angela?
6: I haven't been able to do anything i was all in the hinterlands it was it's been a day it's yeah it's been a day i started working what 5 15 this morning
1: oh damn it's late where you are we had we had a guy named i don't know if you know him uh his name is andres mom and he wrote a yes! book oh, he was
6: from y'all show yeah he was on
1: the show he was on the show before yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: he was amazing
1: so we had him on he wrote since he's been on my show, there's like two books. That
6: he... <laughs> he was on the show like two months ago,
1: but I mean, he, motherfucker writes books. I, I think that's how he eat. Um, and he's got a new book. What's it called again? White lies, black. That,
2: the, the title was dope. It was um white skin, black oil, or something like that. Was black it
1: fuel, white
2: skin, black, black fuel. Woo! Shout out to Pamela Davis. Good, good afternoon, good morning, Pamela Davis.
1: Don't shout out Pamela Davis. She's being difficult.
6: We're
1: not gonna do that. We're not gonna talk about
3: mom being difficult right now.
6: Ever. Never good morning, Miss Pamela. Ever, ever. I good apologize morning, Pamela.
3: for this rude ass motherfucker. <laughs> where did we where did we get him?
1: I don't know. No, I you know what I have to watch. I have to watch my mom be like the nicest, sweetest person to her newest grandchild. Like she is and it's a beautiful thing to see at the end of the day,
2: right? You know, can we make a correction here? No one on this podcast denied white supremacy. We no one denied white supremacy. We said that sometimes it becomes the explanation for physics, diarrhea, and bad coffee. And that's a problem.
1: <laughs> you, you ne- you've never had stale coffee and blame white people for it. Sometimes if the weather's bad, I call Doug Lane and yell at him for no reason. That's reparations. <laughs>
6: That's That's <laughs> wild.
1: I I tried to send it to you, Angela. I don't know if you saw it. Uh the, the extra footage that we had of the conversation. Uh it was Pascal, Kuba, Jean Bajlan, and our guest. Um, I can't say his name in French, Pascal said it so beautifully.
6: No, I haven't had the chance to ja, see I it. I think- but
1: I, yeah, that was it. Was wow! I'll
6: finally be able to sit down.
1: It was. Whoo, it was one of the best conversations you'll kind of hear around just the the idea of white supremacy from a historic historical standpoint. Like cat's breaking down the history of different slave trades. Um, it was. It was deep.
6: No, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to to uh, logging in for it because like we we had we some would... good,
2: we've had, we've had some good content lately, Angela. We've had some good content.
6: Y'all's content is con- consistently amazing. Like I was like going back and binging y'all because I was running like endless loads of dirt the other day, and. Um, The call y'all put out and I forget which episode it was, but I mean, you went in, Pascal, like you went in like completely in like I ain't got time for this bullshit. Like this is what this is like. I was like, okay. And um, at the end of it, y'all were like, you know, if there are sisters that have good politics and, you know, we've been reaching out to sisters and I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So
1: <laughs>
5: yeah,
6: that's that's what made me I was like, let me message Jason to let him know, like, but no, you message
1: me, you don't understand. We were talking about your black ass when you messaged me.
6: what I do now?
1: No about you coming on the show.
6: <laughs> I Bro, like, shit. It, mother,
1: no, no, it was like, no, we were talking about you, like we need to get see if we can get Angela on more. I was like, I don't know, you literally messaged me when we were having that conversation
6: because of y'all podcast cuz like Pascal at the end was like look sisters if y'all are out there you got good politics you know down you know, running it down reach out and like i didn't realize that there oh, were people oh,
2: you know what that was too. the episode where we talked about Jim Crow Joe Biden that was yes,
3: the- yes. Yeah. jim eagle yeah jim-, <laughs> jim eagle
2: you called him jim eagle
3: oh, did you you didn't see this when Joe Biden was describing yeah, Jim, uh, the Georgia. Said,
2: said, yeah. This is not this is worse than than, than Jim Crow. This is Jim Eagle, because i.e. Crow is a bird, eagle is a bird.
3: Oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Let it sit just yeah, just no, let feel that. Let it feel the let marinade.
2: Let's be
6: honest. He? He,
3: he, he we can't hold on. That's it. We talk about Joe Biden gas. He this is this is my world now. Uh, this this motherfucker. He's talking with uh, Prime Minister uh, Shuga from Japan yesterday. He can't remember. Uh, this is golf, dude. I don't remember old boy's name, but he just won the Masters. Joe Biden says, "Hey, yeah, you got this. You got uh, you got this Japanese boy coming over here and winning the Masters."
1: Oh sweet when, Jesus! Remember when George Bush seen, was a senior threw up on the was it the president of Japan or the emperor? <laughs> what they call. Oh, well, yeah.
3: they got a, They have an emperor. They also have a prime minister. It's like a figure. they got a figure. Okay, emperor. so they got yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think
1: he, he threw up on one of them.
2: Pascal, I know you remember that. I missed that one. You oh, don't man. remember
5: that? <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> the only Bush. The only Bush one I like is when the guy, the Iraqi guy, threw his shoe at George a Bush. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. Although, I mean, like, that's things like, so there was at one point i seen set, Joe Bush, Bush speak, and I was like, I could get him.
6: But did <laughs> nobody grab Joe Biden and be like, yo, we don't, you sound like foghorn leghorn right now. We don't talk like that. <laughs> he, we don't do they, that.
3: I like they it's just, it's,
1: niggers, it's I say, niggas, there'll be mixed niggas, but you know, the greatest, yo,
2: the, greatest
6: know.
2: the greatest, the greatest slam was Glenn Ford. I talked to him on the phone after Joe Biden talked to the civil rights. The only thing that saved Joe Biden is that he didn't have a southern accent. I said, Oh, ho, ho, ho. Ooh. wow. Ooh. Somebody said.
1: Somebody said for Pascal to read
2: Gerald Horn's book. Oh, here we go. I, listen, <laughs> <laughs> is, is Gerald Horn going is Gerald Horn going to tell me that when I fry my eggs to, and burn them, it's because of white supremacy? Is he going to tell me that in, in, in that book? Uh,
1: I wouldn't think he would do that. But um, I think at
2: this point, people are projecting that he would do that. Unless wow. he's a whole new
1: Gerald Horn.
2: No one here denied white supremacy. I just don't think that bad gas and farts are caused by white supremacy.
3: <laughs> I see the white man through their diet and the illegal swine has tricked (laughs) your bowel movements into being unnecessarily gaseous
6: and foul-smelling. Brother? You playing, Marcus, but you know damn well somebody out there talking to you joking? somebody is out there like, yeah! How did you know? (laughs)
3: Speak on it, king! Speak on it, king! (laughs) Message!
5: (laughs) Message! Ooh, that yo, y'all,
2: yo, do y'all remember Oswald Bates from In Living Color? Yes. yes. Oswald Bates. That, that, Oswald was, that Bates. was Damon Wayne's character. Oh. Yeah, Oswald Bates was the character of the Hotep in prison.
3: Oh man. I'm gonna walk off a white ass cliff.
2: Oh well. my god. I, I remember when, I remember when Trump came out. I was like, Trump got some Oswald Bates supporters. Where are the Oswald Bates Trump supporters? Man? Dude. Well, wait, where were we talking about?
1: No, you didn't want to talk about it, so I'll keep my mouth shut.
3: Well, I got a question uh off of what we were talking about with Andres, um for Andrew, because I think, you know, Andres speaks a lot about, you know, what's going on with uh you know, with with directly with what he's doing, you know, like we were asking him questions about, Hey, what do you think about this movement? That movement as it pertains to climate change, X, Y, Z, you know, in the United States, he's like, well, y'all would know better than me. Um, But now we got Angela on, you know, VP for the greens for this last run. Um, And there's a lot of things we were talking about was like, how do people organize and how do people actually tie in other issues into the climate change battle. Cause that's kind of comes as this existential crisis type thing where whether you're talking about social justice issues, you know, labor issues, housing issues, healthcare issues, whatever, they all fall under this umbrella of battling comic cage because like, if we don't have people on the earth, we can't fix these problems. Um, so yeah, I guess, can you speak to like the efforts at the green? Greens is like a kind of a whole, like that was the, that's the point, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Kind of like speak to that.
6: Yeah. I mean, when you talk about this idea of a green new deal, that, that was ours. It was, that came from the green party. It came from Howie Hawkins. Um, And you're absolutely right. Marcus, when, when you're talking about climate change, a lot of people tend to When we talk about, you know, movements for the environment, the first thing that pops into a lot of people, a lot of people's heads is, you know, these white hippies, you know, and and movements like that. And it's like, no, the Gullah Geechee Nation here in South Carolina has been on climate change for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, These are folks who are very close to the land, have been watching what is happening to the ocean, what is happening to, you know, changes that are affecting crops and things like that. So, um, and I think that you said it, Marcus, making sure that people understand that climate change is not something that is separate from issues that people feel are close to them, you know, housing, Medicare for all, um, health, you know, food access, It's central to all of these things. Even the work that I do. I mean, I am affected by climate change when it's inclement, inclement weather. We don't work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we do is very, you know, earth based. So, you know, that's how these folks make their money is is dirt and things like that. So I mean, everything we're not. I think one of the things we have to to first do as a people is understand that we are not separate from our environment. This is not some, you know, some concept over there that humans are separate from. We are interconnected with everything that happens with this planet. And, you know, for me, when I'm talking to people about organizing around issues around climate change, it's like, what do you care about? And here's how it ties into this. One of the dopest things that I, I've heard recently, I love, I stand y'all. And also, you know, I want to shout out the podcast, Inner Ho Uprising. They did a deep, deep dive into how climate change affects reproductive rights and reproductive justice.
1: Interesting.
6: Absolutely. And I'll send you the link um, via Messenger if y'all want it. But it yeah. is absolutely amazing. And Do you know, that? In, I. I'm going to of theirs, too. I haven't been, you
1: know, you, dating. You don't do it? Okay. I'll, no. I'll reach out to them. That's an that's interesting, I that that whole thing sounds very interesting. I Look, I, I was saying this earlier on. You weren't here. I hate the way that any kind of climate activism is viewed as, even in the fucking little clip thing I showed from Telesaur, they show some hippie-looking white people with fucking dreadlocks and hemp pants that just want to smoke pot and not do shit all day. And that's kind of how climate activism, to me, is still viewed.
3: See, we pick up the trash off the beach, man, and we turn them into these bracelets, the the beads.
6: (laughs) (laughs) And climate change is so much deeper and so much darker. You know, Black people have been doing this for a very long time.
3: And And, I mean, I brought this up, you know, when you talk about the like Lake Chad and the region around that in Africa, like millions of refugees have had to come out of that area. Um, Something like DOD, one of the largest contributors to to climate change and also just separately the refugee crisis. But then, you know, when you talk about the forever wars, 35 million people displaced, but like that's nothing, that's nothing. Uh, something that Andres was saying earlier, is was like 40% of the earth is going to be in the area or like heated up, you know, like where they're saying someone help me out. Basically the, the, the center of the globe, the tropic areas, like it's going to be inhabitable. 40% of the people that lived like of the earth's population live there now, what's going to happen? You know, people got to move. Um, so yeah, like this, this is not just a, Hey, this is a, this is something we got to deal with right now there's these just huge monumental issues that are on our doorstep that we're not preparing for by any means.
6: And I think, I just put the link in the private chat too. And I think um, one of the things that, to bring it very micro and very personal, how many of us, you know, with this intersection of this pandemic, which I think is exacerbated by climate change, and also governmental incompetence, but that's a whole another discussion. Um, how many of us who are impacted by pandemic rebellion and ongoing injustice are also personally living with climate grief? How many of us are walking around with this? That we are aware of these, aware that these things are happening and as individual people feeling powerless to stop it i live in miami
2: hurricane season makes me allergic to to everything every year so you know down here people are talking about in less than 30 years we won't even have a city because it'll be underwater
6: and just you know just thinking of like and listening to how we break it down like you know you have the collapse of ecologies we're watching animals go extinct i don't know about anybody else but that makes it for me personally it makes it very hard to get through my day-to-day and enjoy shit and like all of these people are flocking to the beach now and all this other shit and it's like no excuse mm. i need y'all to be aware of what the fuck is happening and give a shit about it and it's just there's like this disconnect so like bringing it from the macro of you know, having folks migrate because they can't live in their homelands because of what is happening with the climate, even bigger than that, understanding that this shit is unnecessary. It did not have to happen. It does not have to continue. This idea of of money, <laughs> this is, I mean, you're, you're literally yeah. saying money and this, the, the having and the accumulation of this idea is worth the real time sacrifice of species. This shit makes me fucking nuclear. I ain't even gonna lie.
1: When you would have been mad, then talking to Andres because you know that's that's like his thing, right? Is is he's a climate activist and a and a socialist, and he, he in his book, I don't I don't know if you had a chance to get his book. You know, it's working on it part of it's called well I will send you the PDF if you don't mind Oh no,
6: I want to give him the money. Okay. I appreciate you.
1: No, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you again. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on here and be a part of this. Like I I'm this, excited. Yeah. I'm
3: excited.
1: There's yeah. uh something where
3: you like talking about gold nuclear. like I like I just I saw something and I just had to scream, like you gotta let it out. It was that Dogecoin, a made up Bitcoin, you know, cryptocurrency thing based off of a dog and a meme, is <laughs> the stocks for it just keep going up and up and up because people are like, this is it's like a joke. It's it's like a it's a meme. In real time, people are showing like this is this is just this is just fake. We're just I, playing I, I, games.
2: I can I can up you on that one, baby. I can up you on that one.
5: If- Bloomberg had
2: an article. I don't know if you saw it on my page, Jason and uh, Angela, talking about how Black people invest in cryptocurrency at almost twice the rate of whites. Oh, no. Oh, no. Blacks and Latinos. Disproportionately overinvest in cryptocurrency more than whites.
3: This is gonna turn me into a hotep. This is what <laughs> turns me into a fucking black nationalists, man. This is what you see. The white man knows that the crypto, you know, like that's
1: that shit. That's that shit. God, it's man. gonna even the playing field, dude. You didn't get the pl- you didn't get the memo. <laughs> Your black man memo. They didn't, it didn't get the oh, no, no no wealth no, gap no.
3: wealth
6: gap. We gotta close the <laughs> oh, wealth gap.
1: Yeah,
3: this
6: is how we do it. We close it oh man this shit if i let it this shit would make my nose bleed
1: Damn, joaquin gave us five dollars for the dodge coin fund (laughs) (laughs) hey hey check it and i'm not a real talk i'm not asking anyone to do this because it's fucking insane and i'm just bringing this up as a joke as a joke so, somebody had it, that's uh, watches the show had wrote on we were going back and forth on Twitter, not f- fighting, just kind of like talking. And uh, it was a picture of Jimmy Dore and someone gave him $500. No, to no. say we have to hold, I got let me show you the picture. No, no, because no, the no. Shit blew my a $500 super chat to say we have to hold people. Accountable, and we have to hold these politicians feet to the fire, Jimmy. Here's five hundred dollars. I was like, "Are you fucking serious?" That is the most insane shit I've ever seen in my life. It was a,
3: it was a black dude, wasn't it? I think it was a white woman. It was some, some, some. So he's like, "I just hit good on Dogecoin." Here you go, Jimmy.
1: (laughs) I gotta find this dude. It is fucking. When I saw that shit, dude, my mouth just dropped. I was like, "You have to be shitting me." There's no way. You sent
2: world. The, the article on uh, from Bloomberg and black investment on in bit in uh, kip- cryptocurrency oh. to to the chat to make up for stolen time. Yes, you didn't know that, man. Did y'all see? Did you see the guy, the the, the brother from the hood, the Wall Street trapper? on uh the breakfast club talking about how he oh. are on stocks giving financial advice i'm I allergic don't... to the oh, breakfast
1: club no. yeah oh damn I'm that's saying. too bad because we did a whole show on why we hate uh what's that guy's name uh, oh Char- i listened to God. that and, loved it and yeah.
6: i didn't say and i
5: hated him no jason, you, didn't. you didn't no
6: jason you didn't even say it
3: no but he does well, do you Let's get let's, yeah. everybody now, jason do you do you hate Charlemagne the God?
1: I don't know the motherfucker. All right, all right, all right. I never met him.
6: He <laughs> seems remember, very
1: hateable, but I don't know him.
6: Yeah, I remember when he had, when when Biden made that gaffe, which I really don't believe was a gaffe. He just said what he was thinking out loud. Um, <laughs> you you don't believe back. When <laughs> he said that, and uh, subsequent, subsequently, Charlemagne went on, I think it was Joy Reid's show, and was yeah. like, I want my questions answered. He didn't answer my questions. We wrote him an open letter answering all of the questions that Joe Biden did not answer. Do you Damn. think he ever responded to it? He did not. But had we he did. We wrote him an open letter. He all.
1: was on Bill Maher's show talking about reparations. And it was Man. and another, like another white guy had to kind of explain to him just the the process because he was just like, I, you know, uh, mm-hmm.
6: Lord so Jesus. this This
1: happened. I thought this was kind of funny. So I don't know if you guys can read this. Is it big enough? Let me never. I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna yell that out out loud on this show again because I'm I'm afraid of the memes that Joanne is gonna make for me yelling out. Is it big enough? Can you guys see the image that is on? Can you, it's not big enough, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jimmy! Please hold Crystal's feet to the fire for us. If they continue to host quote-unquote friend of show Ryan Grimm on Rising. I'd like to think their show could have had at least some integrity to it. It's long overdue for him to be deplatformed from the hill, obviously. She paid $500 US to say that silly shit. I wish I was lying.
2: $500
1: To say that silly shit to Jimmy Dore,
2: I Mm. he could say that shit to me for five hundred (laughs) dollars.
3: No, this like like, that thing too is like that's your uh, king. This this, this is making me learn two things. I would probably say a lot of silly ass shit for five hundred dollars, and
1: like just some people need to be robbed.
6: Mm. Ouch!
1: I mean. I, I looked at it when the kid when the kid posted it, and I was laughing. And the kid that posted it was kind of more laughing about the woman's comment. He didn't even see the amount. And because he we, we went back and forth, and he goes, holy shit, that woman paid $500 to say that shit, to hopefully have him read it on air, right? You know, that's why you're doing that shit. You want to have him read uh, uh, this, this silly stuff to say that Crystal Ball needs to tell Ryan Grimm um, that he's a bad person because why? I
3: Man, I mean, people act like Crystal Ball doesn't work for a damn billionaire. <laughs> you know, and I'm not. This is nothing against her. Nothing, nothing. You know, but like she works for The Hill. It's basically Capitol Hill's TMZ. Like, damn. what the what the fuck are people actually yeah. talking about? But the this hell just hell talks about the was, unseriousness the of the ton- people.
2: Go, the hill yeah. is not a left. It's not a left publication. A lot of people think it is. It's not a left publication.
6: People use I mean. that word. I, and I linked that open letter in the um the chat too, so y'all have it that we wrote to Charlemagne the God. And was like, "We here, bro. What's up? What's good? We'll talk about this." <laughs> Silence. <laughs> but, um, yeah people are always like throwing around the left, the left, the left. And it's like, I think one of the big challenges we as actual leftists in this country have is to like clarify for people. These people are not left. Y'all are, y'all are using this word. Like, you know what it means, but you really don't know who you're talking about when you're talking about left. Y'all, y'all don't, y'all don't know who you're talking about.
1: And no, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and uh, to, to, what I thought was like funny about the whole shit, and why I was going back and forth with the kid. I'm like, first, like, like Pascal says, who the fuck is Crystal Ball anyway to be like mad about? So you got you got her co host Sagar talking about, yeah. and then just in from the Daily Caller, China did Chinese yeah.
3: Sagar would do a ten minute on the the moral failings of smoking marijuana. Like get the fuck out of here! I'm not taking anybody serious. who's gonna sit next to this fool, you know. Like and, and also China too, i like, did some
1: Chinese shit today. <laughs> yeah, that I just don't approve of. <laughs> I'm a brown guy <laughs> saying white guy shit. Oh, oh man! Oh,
3: Which
5: that so they sad. use
1: They did that. The
3: apparently the author of the American First Manifesto. It, they like literally it was like oh hey it's this dude i remember his name he's a proud asian american who supports and believes in the anglo-saxon heritage that has you know created the freedoms in in, in america and it's
1: just these people man these people <laughs> it's the kind of nonsense you hear from boyce watkins and Tariq nasheed what Sagar? So, so, damn, Joanna said this. Look at that. That's fucked. Up. <laughs> on she it. fucked up his whole life. Wait, I'm sorry. Wrong quote. Uh, Sagar <laughs> wants to be Dinesh D'Souza with Dude. better teeth. Damn. Dude. Damn.
3: Woo! Woo! <laughs>
1: damn. <laughs> damn yeah i I agree somebody said that they think the hill could be a pipeline to the left and the right yeah the hill is like a very first of all well-produced shows there's there's a different you know we're trying to get to that point where you know pascal and i can have backdrops and my girl and i are talking about moving my setup into a different part of the house so i can put up this this backdrop that I have and, and make it look more professional. I mean, there's something to be said about professional looking shows. The Hill is shot on a fucking set.
3: And th- like this too, is like, people just got to understand like, uh, journalism. It's a job, mm-hmm. you know, you could have people like I don't I don't care what the ideological makeup of, of the people that uh, of the sanitation worker or the or the plow truck driver or the fucking the the, the the person stocking my food at the grocery store. It would be nice if they were leftists and we could bump into each other and have a nice fucking conversation and shit. But like, I don't fucking care. At the end of the day, journalism just explaining to people what the fuck is going on it doesn't have to be left or right you don't necessarily have to listen to people or left or right mm-hmm. i spent a whole lot of my time paying attention to what the mainstream media says not so not because they are left and they are you know engaging in you know my ideological growth because most of the people are going to be thinking what they're saying and i need to be able to react to that i need to be able to know what they're thinking mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I, you know, and so that's things like The Hill. Don't think of it as like, is this a lefty organization that I can now listen to? Do they say lies? Do they speak to the Girl. truth? And that's the thing is with, with Crystal Ball, there is nobody else that took Andrew Yang to task like Crystal Ball did. And that has nothing to do with anything else she said. I'm not t- saying she's coming to the fucking comrade party, it's just she did her job. When she does her job, it's fucking good. If she does her job poorly at some point where she's spouting off some bullshit, okay, great. And the fact that she sits next to Sager and just lets him spew and doesn't say anything in return, okay, yeah, like, of course. But at the end of the day, if there's good reporting, take it. If there's not, leave it alone. And they don't have to go on this ideological spectrum. They're just doing a
2: job. You feel the same way about Fox News? Well, that's the thing is that's where you
3: get into. Hey, what are they doing? They consistently lie. They consistently uh, change the narrative. You could tell. You could say the owners have goals in mind based off of the other organizations and only ideological things that they talk about. You know, and all those things. So I'd say there's a there's a difference, right? Like that's the reason why I was talking like they the the, hill is the the hill is like the TMZ of 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 DC is because like the hill literally just focuses on clicks.
6: I and, would, you know, really they have standards, know, like, but
3: they're going to go with the sensational stories every time.
6: The I mean, thing that like... warmed them to my heart, you know, whatever they are or not, I'm not intimately familiar with that, that platform. But they were decent to Howie and not snarky, not ugly Um they gave him if i recall correctly he was on howie was on howie hawkins was on um rising and he got a fair a fair interview you know where people weren't talking smack to him uh they didn't come at him you know talking down to him you know people people were respectful and that's not the case with a lot of the media that we got during the campaign so you know if for for me if for nothing else i appreciate them for that at least giving him an opportunity and being objective
2: they platform a lot of leftists i didn't say they were bad i didn't say don't watch it a lot of leftists go to the hill a lot mm-hmm. the youtube page I'm it's just a saying. platform if the hill
1: if the hill had us on if not as a show but if they had us on as a guest I'd go on there.
2: Yeah, I'd go there.
1: I mean, I don't know how long the show would last. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that, Sagar?
5: <laughs> <laughs> how? <laughs> um,
1: I don't there know. is a show that we were talking about. I'm not going to mention it, but I'll mention it to you guys in the chat. But there's some good news about us possibly getting on something. So I'm excited about that
6: i'm excited y'all deserve people to know and hear about you i mean i share y'all stuff all the time when i i can venture onto social media without it scalding me which is very rare
2: so next saturday we have norman finkelstein don't forget
1: can you take can you take some time for that one
6: if y'all want me to be on and they don't have me out in the salt mine I'm not going to ever, <laughs> I need to understand. I'm not going to ever just invite myself on. I'm going to tell y'all that now. No, but
1: no, no. I'm letting you know the invitation Ooh. is open and we would love you to be the Saturday uh, sauciness.
6: That, yeah. Oh, wow. That so, be he, really...
1: so next Saturday, so this Saturday we had we had Andres' mom on for fucking two hours. I'm really shocked that he gave us that much time. He's
6: amazing.
1: Remember, there's he a huge time difference where he is and he does take his time with his children very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, and he got back to me relatively quickly and was just kind of stoked to come on which made me very it felt good that you know we had such a good time that he wanted to come back and talk with more Negroes Um, so next week we're going to have Norman Finkelstein on who I had a conversation with uh, because he wants to know who the fuck he's talking to he ain't going to just jump on the show and not know who the fuck we are so we talked for about an hour and He's funny, but it's very dry. And he's older Pascal, I would call
6: you that. Is he a Capricorn? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Cause that I know how to, you know, that that, that that's what it's all like. Find out. That's some Capricorn shit right there
1: so i'm excited for the show and and uh because he was getting raw with me in in our conversation like breaking down shit that he didn't approve of breaking down shit that was pissing him off definitely i know what not to say during the show you better but, tell me. But, oh just like you told me on some other shows like hey man don't say blah 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 like you think i'm not going i'm not setting you up to get fucking you yelled at one older Jewish man already. We can't have that be the thing, you yelling at older
6: Pascal. It's, it's
1: like you turn it into uh into the barber
3: shop on coming to America.
6: No, y'all didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that. I already You it Joe Lewis's ass.
2: <laughs> I will not uh, even God, comment God, on that.
1: Uh uh no 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 Pascal can you really uh talk about Norman's book which I think is a is a fucking he he gets heat Figelstein gets mad heat and at this point in his life he gives no fucks about what you say on a real deal level of I give no fucks so Pascal can you talk about what this book is about
2: Man listen we might get canceled for me just reading this <laughs> uh, The Holocaust the Holocaust industry reflection on the exploitation of Jewish suffering by Normal G. Finkelstein. Uh, it's um, yeah, I'm just gonna leave it there, man. I'm not <laughs> that, man. I'm just, man, we might have to talk about something else, man. You
1: know, Finkel, Finkelstein is a dude that lost his whole career.
2: He is, he really yeah, is. what's his name? Dershowitz sabotaged his whole. Kabaj stopped him from getting tenure jacked him up yeah
1: so so when he speaks it comes from a real place of fuck these people
6: but listening to the title of that and i'm just gonna say it Mm -hmm. and when you held it up to the camera the first thing i thought about and then when you said it black people know a little bit of something a little bit about this don't we the Mm -hmm. exploitation of black yeah. suffering and the fetishization yeah. of black suffering and black <laughs> death. I think <laughs> that moment now, personally,
3: I remember being a kid and actually, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to say this now. I hope this motherfucker don't come after me, but I remember being a kid and seeing Suge Knight wearing a diamond, a diamond blinged out, uh, handcuff like that was Shit. you know and i was just like like look at i was like they're like this costs this many money this much bling blah, 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 bling bling and it's just like I, like even though it was like i don't think this is that i don't think this is a right <laughs> you know i don't think this is right but like that's exactly that you know just the i right like it, like like how do you do that how do you do that
6: were they full size that's all i need to know <laughs> i got questions.
3: question were they <laughs> it was girl it was one they were just saying like, it was like broken off you know and, was, and like it was just like how do you do that
6: cuz there's how a you- lot of symbolism i could, i'm i'm like are you you know are you trolling what what passes for the criminal justice system, like ba- you know, fuck y'all bitches out of you know this symbol yeah. of, of but of either way, yeah. Job. That that exploitation you know of the pain,
1: of, right? You, you know what I'm scared of, right? So not only do we have this really we were talking about this earlier with Andres, we have this moment that I still think we're in a little bit from the summer. I don't think mm. that whole feeling is totally gone, right? Hell no, it ain't gone because we have a we have Back to back, police shootings, and then there's there's some new footage because I think a trial is going on right now where a young man I can't remember what state it was in, uh maybe I think it was in Ohio, Marcus, where a young man was suffocated by police, and the doctor that's testifying for for the Derek Chauvin events. Testified in this kid's defense, oh, and suffocated, him. and 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 it's body camera footage. You can see it, and fuck, and the shit, and the sounds. I, I hate it happened on his on his in front of his house. His mom had to sit there and watch. Oh
3: yeah, go. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I horrible, think horrible, I, I,
1: horrible, horrible, horrible thing that happened, and uh, they were making up the reason why they pulled the kid over. They said he had kidnapped somebody, but he was riding the car with his cousin. It was the, it was a whole just big mess, right? So we are in this interesting moment where. People have had enough, but I feel like that frustration of real people that really are suffering, right? Like I said before, I get pulled over, it's all bad for me because of the situation I have with my car and and all that other shit. Other cats, not so much. And when I got to see Trevor Noah give a tear filled, you know, I'm tired, and I'm sure, and I'm sure, I'm sure. He is tired of seeing it. Who isn't tired of seeing these fucking snuff films? But it gets turned into us having to watch this suffering through the lens of a black celebrity. And then Hollywood co-ops it by having movies that are take revolutionary figures. Huh. And then they're turned into products. I guarantee there's a bunch of people that have Fred Hampton and Huey Newton shirts. I guarantee. I don't think and they're they bad. Hate,
6: and they'll tell you they hate socialists if you ask them that they're yeah f- sure. you know, I, I don't fuck with
5: them.
1: Marxist. She was trained in Marxism. She got a little. They got a gun. to trained Marxist. And that's that's like my fear of this this really potentially pivotal moment where there was a moment during the George Floyd. Uh, protests where you saw people in gaza yes with with these posters like you know i am george floyd like you you know that they're just like the moms for housing right we're having this moment that we're kind of understanding collectively that the system is collapsing we are in the middle of a massive collapse but where is that coalescing other than hashtags and the destruction of dollar generals yeah. i'm not against hashtags and in certain instances i'm not against the destruction of dollar generals but i feel like when we hear things like defund the police well, what are you going to do we're going to have healthcare workers what does that look like i'm asking that question seriously because i will I, I, i've told this story before my listener base has grown since I've told it. I'll tell it again for the people that don't know. I worked in an emergency shelter here in California. And these emergency shelters literally, first of all, to be homeless, you have to answer a lot of questions. I think it's like over 100 questions to be homeless. So we basically we took people with severe mental illness, chronic homelessness, and severe health problems. Diabetes, crippling drug addictions, and took all those people, threw them in a big-ass hotel. Just so you guys know, hotels are pretty much set up for privacy. So, a lot of ass whoopings happened. Domestic violence happened. Uh, it's the hood in a nice hotel. It was a kind of a decent hotel. Anyway... There was a young lady who had severe uh, bipolar problems and also it was a wet shelter, so you can get dope. First of, first of the month comes around and she would kind of go off. One day she went off pretty bad. She's a small little black girl, uh, maybe weighed 100 pounds, but she was having a bad day and she was off some, some, some a lot of meth
5: hmm.
1: and she had kicked somebody's dog. So I hear my name being screamed. Jason, this bitch done kicked my dog. You better get this bitch out of here. Fuck her up. I go running out and she's just on one. I get her away from this woman. She's on one. She won't fucking stop trying to fight. She's trying to fight me. She's trying to fight whoever she see. She's telling me she got a knife. She going to cut a bitch. I'm like, look, you can't be cutting bitches. <laughs> You got to calm the fuck down. I can't have this. She doesn't give a fuck. Now. The director of this entire thing is there. And she says, guess what? She's got a hot team. That means that she has a team of mental health professionals that I can call that will come and talk her down this Friday about four o'clock. Call the number. Yeah, what's up? I got a woman here. She's trying to fuck everybody up. Can't have it. Can you guys send somebody? No. Whoa. It's four o'clock on a Friday, man. Mm -hmm. They share a weapon? I was like, yeah, call the police.
5: Whoa. I said, what?
1: I said, I don't want to call the police because it's a black chick that I got to tell them this. got a knife. They go, look, man, we're not going to come down there if she's got a weapon. Oh wow! I'm telling you people this, not to say don't defund the police, but you have to understand the situations that happen. So I'm not done with the story. I go back to the woman, find her in the in the facility, and I say, "Look, are you afraid to go back to your room?" She starts crying.
5: Oh, she does
1: this. Are you afraid because your dude is whooping your ass? What do I do? The mental health professionals just told me they're not going to come because this broad may be armed. I don't want to call the police because all they're going to do is cuff her. I become a snitch, narc, whatever the fuck you want to call it, because I am that anyway. I am that anyway because I'm not one of them. But now it gets amplified. But I don't want her to go back to her room where she stays. And mind you, the dude brought her in. Can't kick him out. can kick her out. Can't kick him out. Another woman in the life calms her down says jason i got this walks her back to the room and says i'll make sure that motherfucker don't touch you you beat him up with that pussy you don't fucking let him put his hands on you real thing that happened and that's how that situation got de-escalated de-escalated Who do you think is going to be the mental health professionals that people keep asking for when you don't have specific demands? Do you want interns? Do you want motherfuckers like me? Do you think you're going to get Beverly Hills level psychological help? How young do you think these kids were that were coming out here talking to people in their 60s? With 30-year drug addictions. I'm not saying don't say defund. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is motherfuckers have to understand that it's not going to go total 180. You have to understand what the problem truly looks like. At the end of the day... We're policing poverty. Right on. Whether you do it with a cop, whether you do it with a mental health professional. And again, everyone I'm dealing with in this facility has severe mental illness, severe drug addiction. Another story. And I want, I want the chat to tell me what they would do. And mind you, we have security. That is to- it's just, and also I, I'm trying to, I, I blew the whistle on the place. That's why I'm not there. And some changes happened, but not all the changes we wanted to happen happened, but there were some changes for the good. And I left because eventually there was an outbreak of COVID because of the way they handled the third party staff security in these places, nine times out of 10 is third party. So if you don't know what that means, that means that some rich douchebag is going to go get foreign labor and overwork them. He goes, who the fuck are they going to tell? So we had a bunch of African security guards, nice guys, totally overworked. And people don't get keys to their rooms because was the county won't allow it. So we have to open doors and security has to open doors. 330 people, Jeez. about six security guards for me right that's your day spent opening a lot of doors that's fine you're supposed to do that i can see how you live in i'm supposed to report this to the people there's an older black woman she's one of the few people that someone literally took from the street they lied on the questions fine yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to get in here nice lady didn't know she was collecting garbage garbage from the street. She'd go out every day with her little cart and she collect garbage. Well, four months in, there was so much garbage in her room. She said, my TV isn't working. Can you fix my TV? I was like, no problem. I will go in and fix your TV. I almost vomited on her when I walked in the room because there was so much garbage. There was dead flies, flies everywhere. I go tell the case manager, it takes days before anybody looks at the room.
2: You fucking with my chi, man. There's too much.
1: <laughs> I I I say I say all this. I say all this shit, and I explain all this stuff to people because I don't think people understand the conditions in which we think these things are just easy problems or easy solutions, and then we walk away.
3: Yeah. Well, and this is where, like, you know, what was it, you know, when we we talked about like restorative justice, like, really, it's like all I wanted, like, really, what I wanted to do just bring you to the forefront is like, this is not an easy answer, right? You know, and like I talked, you know, talked about my experiences with dealing with with, with veterans. Yeah. You know, mm. and some of it is, is 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 incarcerated vets, some of it was vets dealing with homelessness and, and 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 all types of substance issues. But like that's like that was my step, you know. That was like cause I come out of the military and like, oh sweet, I'll get some cool shit. Yeah, you know, G.I. Bill, the government's gonna hook me up, some money in my pocket. But I started noticing. I was like, "Well, why doesn't that veteran have it? Hmm. Why doesn't that have veteran have it?" Oh, wait. He said because he got kicked out because he was he was smoking weed because he couldn't. You you can't tell nobody you got fucking head problems. Mm-mm. You can't tell. You can't Mm-mm. say that shit in the military. Right. And we, had, we had a obvious. We had a bunch got, of. Those. Yeah, you got people talking about. How they, oh, yeah, like everyone around me. You know, and this is especially leadership. You got grown ass men talking about how they how, oh, if just a few years ago, they watched their one of their best friends explode in front of them. And they've done two deployments since then. It's not this is not fucking this is not healthy people. You know what I'm saying? You just can't be healthy off that. watch your shows. And then but so once you start saying like, well, why doesn't why not? Why not? Why doesn't this veteran have it? Why didn't this veteran be able to access the GI Bill? And it was like, once you boil it down, oh, it's the poverty. It's just the things that are so, either being poor or the things that we associate with poor people. And sometimes that's black skin. Hmm. That's, that's, the, that's, that's what's stopping it. That's what they say. Oh, this is, well, you can't have that. Oh, well, you did drugs. You got in a fight. You did this. Now you will never. It, we don't give a fuck about your service. But at the end of the day, it's not just about, oh, hey, we don't, you know, no, thank you for, we just don't give a fuck about people.
1: We don't give a, look, again, and I say this, and I say this not to say don't do it. It's not a binary, this is good, this is bad. I'm just complicating the simple hashtag. Yeah. yeah.
6: But it it needs to be complicated. These things, and I think we've had this discussion before, we like quick fixes, easy fixes, jump right in. And, you know, it's okay, honey, we got 500 plus years of shit to dig through this country. And I have said this a thousand times, this country is a, we are built on bones. Mm -hmm. The foundation of this country is dead people. It is exploited people. It is enslaved people. You have to tell the truth about what we are built on if we are going to heal this. And stop giving this lip service about American exceptionalism because we're not exceptional at anything but being fucking horrible. Yeah. The lip service attached to that and stop with this gloss of we care about people. Stand up and announce because other people around the world can see. And I think if nobody saw it before COVID, COVID unmasked a whole lot of shit. We yes, do yes, not it. care about yes, people. Yep. And you are absolutely right. You cannot reform shit as long as capitalism capitalism is in place and if you are not attacking capitalism explicitly, you ain't talking about shit. You're not talking about shit.
1: I wanted to say I was going to call I was trying to call the majority report Friday because they were talking about defund the police earlier and they kind of had again the whole kind of vagueness if we're going to do this and this makes sense and blah blah blah, blah. this is what it really means and then somebody hit me up personally and was like this is my defund the police thing i was like "Well, what does that mean right so i i want to give you guys a situation that actually happened you tell me and 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 hopefully you, you this real story i'm not this is not a joke it's really happened we had a cat super ghetto he was a he was an asian cat actually he was really fucking ghetto and he was kind of a problem not violent just a problem you know, my whole thing was when it was food time, we got to be chill in the line to get food. Right. Let's be comfortable. I play chill music. I don't want people fighting. Right. Because that happens. This dude would always kind of stir shit up in a fucked yeah. up, hood ass way. Right. Anyway. He got a whole we think of maybe some bad meth. But anyway, he got fucked up one night and decided he had bought a car. A, a used older used SUV and decided that he was going to try to do donuts on the freeway going the wrong way.
6: Oh, sweet Jesus.
1: Then he, because the hotel actually was right off the freeway, like literally, then he decided that it was a good idea. Um, as the passing cars passed by, he made a blowtorch with a lighter and a hairspray thing and was trying to hit people with blowtorch so the staff did what you're supposed to do in that situation which is call law enforcement right or or am i supposed to call a counselor at that point you tell me i'm not saying it because i know i'm asking the well
3: was, yeah no i like i mean i will start off by saying i you know i've got a different relationship with violence than most people mm-hmm I've got a different relationship with de-escalation mm-hmm. than most cops mm-hmm. and it comes to am I going to die right now or the next second and if the answer is no, how do I keep that going but also too is like do I have to kill anybody? you know can I hide see these are some of the things that like that that, that cops don't ask themselves can I hide to be safe? Is there anyone actually in danger right now? Because if you if, if you you know, if these if you do the training to make this your mental, uh, you know, OODA loop, we call it. <laughs> um, if you just make this your mental process, eat, you know, and like, that's where you train, you know, you escalating in stress levels, so that hopefully it doesn't matter what situation you don't know the right answer but you're based off of principles where less people get hurt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if someone's with a hairspray and and a fire, you know, fire thing, are we inside? Are there, are there flammable things that are around? Does this person just need to get tackled? You know, Mm -hmm. will I survive? That's another thing too. Cops say, can you just ask yourself, will I survive if someone has a little baby knife and I just run up and hit stick them? We're 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 both probably gonna survive, mm-hmm. even if he gets lucky. All oh, the nice the, and there's thirty other cops. Hey man, come get me. Hope you know, but like at the end of the day, cops look at every little thing, and the only thing is, hey, if I think that I might me maybe get
1: injured, now phew, I get to draw down. And you know, so the I'll I'll finish the story, but before I finish, I'll add this. We had the Super Bowl in San Francisco in 2014. My favorite team in the whole wide world, which you don't see here at this place, is the a, is a Denver Broncos. John Elway usually sits over my bed to protect me from evil demons at night. I love the Denver Broncos, probably to a fault. I actually did some work for, for a company during the Super Bowl, Super Bowl City. If you've ever had a Super Bowl in your city, you know, they, they corner off a big part of the downtown area. So in downtown San Francisco, it is littered with homeless people. So they were doing sweeps of the encampment and a cop got stabbed in the neck and died. Just like Marcus said, it was the, it was the freak shit that could actually happen. Cops did not go on a killing spree. Uh, there was a lot of armed personnel around. And when they were discussing the situation, they kind of looked at it like this. This is exactly what they told me. They're like, look, man, the guy was crazy. And all he knew was somebody was like wrestling him to get up. And he panicked like any person that lives on the street would probably do in that situation. So we're not really scared of that. Hmm. That was one cop. It's not all of them. But to finish my story, police did come. Did not draw guns on the gentleman. He tried to hide in the trunk of his car, which is one of those trunks that open like up like this, an SUV the old school trunks. And you know how sometimes you have that little divider where you can put your groceries on top and stuff on the bottom. He tried to hide under that. So they of course saw him. And as he was getting handcuffed, which he, you know, again, they didn't draw guns and handcuffing him. They said, Uh, what happened, sir? He goes, I'm in love. Like in love with who? He said, The Coco. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. That
2: actually
5: happened.
3: <laughs> Well that hailed. reminds me of Gucci man in court when they asked like if he's guilty, he's like, bitch, I might be.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he's in love with the
5: cocoa. I laughed
1: for a week <laughs> when they
5: told
1: the oh, <laughs> <I love> coco." <laughs>
6: <laughs> well shit.
2: Oh man. Hey, Rick James. They
6: asked
2: him. He said it. You know, in, in Haitian Creole, Coco means female sexual parts. So I, <laughs> 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 I it's Literally, Coco? I We can laugh.
1: It, what's funny is we can laugh about it now. But it's kind of frightening when that shit's going on, right? Because you yeah. got a dude, you know, he's he he was kind of an ass, but he wasn't mean, but that's, yeah, but that's where
3: like, honestly, I was happy to, you know, have that conversation with you, Jason, uh, just about the people that we've met along the way who society is cast, literally cast aside, you know, doing a book club in prison is Mm I'm, I'm, I'm there with people who society said, you're no longer worthy to be with us, Mm -hmm. you know, and, some of the things that these cats did. Very, very violent, dangerous shit. But after a few months, when we're hugging each other, and like that's things like, I don't know if I'm gonna see some of these cats again. I'm not related to them. I can't ask questions. Mm-hmm. And when they shut down for COVID, like who knows? no it, and it, it, oh go ahead what do you do? yeah but that's that i mean that, that's just the problem is like it's it's hard to love it's hard to love somebody that killed their fucking spouse and their kids it's real fucking hard to love somebody that did that shit. but if we want to be real about it those like that's that's that transition period where you people haven't yet realized that all their man- t- material conditions have been met and everything's fucking rainbows and unicorns and socialist utopia mm-hmm. that in between time is how do we deal with this how do we how do we how do we love people
2: regardless of mm. y'all making me want to need a blunt right now man y'all must- hey, let's, <laughs> do, let's do that too i got I, I my
6: am <laughs> envious of anyone <laughs> access that medicine right there cuz i can't cuz they dropped me
1: Oh yeah, um, it's, it's I ask these questions and I pose this stuff because we get so caught up in the rhetoric because we are tired collectively. We're looking at four people collectively that have children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and brothers. None of us want to see any more state violence. None of us, but. We have to understand that we need to look at this shit realistically. And my fear is there is going to be a certain level of quote unquote defunding or abolishing where maybe we will see mental health professionals respond to certain crises. But who are those people going to be? is it going to be third party who's going to be accountable to them are they going to have real deal training because what happens is if you look at if you don't follow some of the blue check mark people on twitter and you follow some of the the real deal homeless rights activists especially in places like uh, Los Angeles where they have some real interesting uh homeless rights activists they push back on even some of the programs that the mayor is dulling out because they're like, look, you're going to give this money to this nonprofit. We know this nonprofit. They're going to take 90 percent of that money and say that's expenses. They're oh, going to hire bullshit people covers. for as cheap as possible. And it's not going to be the program. It's not going to work the way you want it to work. And this company is not looking at trying to solve a problem but they're trying to perpetuate it because it's just part of the business model. So when Jeremy says, Hey man, can you big up these cats in Portland? That's doing uh, tax returns for homeless people so they can get some of this, this government stimulus money. That's huge. Yeah. That's immediate. It's not going to change everything right away, but that's fucking huge. To be able to get an extra $14. Maybe you can get a room for a week or a night. Maybe you can move back to where your family is that you've been trying to get to. You'd be surprised how many people are trying to just get back home. Maybe it'll feed you. Maybe it'll fix your car. You can stay in there. for. There's all kinds of shit. That right there is huge. It don't, it's not a lot of sweat off your balls. To help out with some shit like that.
3: Man, but that's like... This is, this is where, too, it's like, uh, I don't know if you read, like, uh, bullshit jobs, but... um, yeah. David Graber. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's where, like, the system, you know? We got a lot of people who could either help out or just get the fuck out of the way. Mm-hmm. But the system puts them there or, you know, like, for a reason, mm-hmm. right? We need more. Mm-hmm we just need more shit
6: and i think and- that one of the things we've been discussing mutual aid is necessary mm-hmm. and it is a really important thing and it's something i absolutely believe in and also we in doing mutual aid don't let the government off the hook don't Bingo. let the Bingo. Say it again off the hook Say-
2: Save for the people Don't the back.
6: let them off the fucking hook because at the end of the day mutual aid is what people have always done and it is a necessary thing and it's a good thing. but we do not need to absolve this government for its neglect of our people. They owe us. they owe us. you exist to take care of the populace. That is your whole purpose. And you are not doing it. And the fact that we on the ground have to step in with our limited resources compared to what the government has access to with our limited resources and fill these gaps is shameful that we have to do this. So while we just the thing that came to my mind is while people are doing this amazing and absolutely necessary work. At the same time, don't let this don't let up on this damn government. Don't let up on these people who are sitting with healthcare, who eat well every day, who are housed properly. Don't let up on these bastards.
1: And on that note, we're over three hours. That's a lot of free, wonderful content. Thank you guys for the super chats. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Of course, thank you, Angela. And and just so everyone hears it on the show, I'll say it out loud. Say, to Angela's internet face. (laughs) We want you as part of the Saturday crew. We understand.
2: We need that that dope black left female energy.
1: Yes. Yes. So we want. We we want Angela Walker.
6: As much as I can be involved, I absolutely will.
1: No, we understand. We understand, but that also you know what that also means. You gotta
6: Can you be call
1: party. a schmigger. What is, oh,
6: what is, what is oh, he? He
5: late as
3: fuck. Shout out to Paul Prescott. I called
1: him <laughs> a while ago hey, and said he Paul. Couldn't, make it, couldn't make it. His brother, Paul's brother, is getting married. So, congratulations. Oh, congrats. Brother Prescott. Oh,
2: what's up. Paul is,
1: is, is hanging out with his brother.
2: Congrats.
1: It's light-skinned, people in love. It's a beautiful thing. You know what? You ain't
6: media have media to do too. that.
5: Exactly.
1: You know, y'all ain't media media that. We didn't have to, but you knew it was coming. <laughs> 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 yeah. I must say y'all did to have Miss Walker on. It, it, look, she's a busy, she's a very busy person. Can I, I got to say too, I'm, I'm
3: sorry, uh Miss mm-hmm. Pamela. I didn't, I, you know, I like, saw the comment about that. You know, there was a sh- the
1: shooting in a while. I, I hadn't seen that. I hadn't seen that yet. So I read about it. My mom sent me a thing about it. I didn't, yeah. to, you know, get too deep into it. But yeah, apparently uh, a guy was getting, uh, uh, what do you call it, patted down. This this is also uh, miming for patted down. I don't know if a cop's, ever, if, if a cop pats you down like this, you've been assaulted. Uh <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all jokes aside a cop patted a gentleman down and a, apparently they found a gun in his waistband and then loaded on him in, a, in an emergency room
6: they and that was and that's like
1: that's that's
3: real close yeah it's close to where i grew up and like actually like uh westerville like me and my brother we
1: lived there for a little bit um uh, officers conducted a routine pat down of a man in a hospital emergency room found a gun in his waistband spurring a struggle over the weapon And a standoff that ended in officers killing him, according to police body camera footage, released Wednesday. Officers had been searching Miles Jackson, a black man, at the hospital Monday in preparation for a custody exchange over warrants he had out for his arrest. Jackson began to struggle with the two officers after one of them felt the gun. video showed one of the officers used a stun gun on Jackson after they fell to the floor while other Attempted to pull Jackson's hands away from his waistband. A shot can then be heard in the video, apparently from the gun in Jackson's waistband.
6: So, I'm not gonna lie, the stuff that's happened, my auntie was the one that told me about something that the most recent killing in Minneapolis. I haven't engaged with any of it because I can't, I can't.
5: Yeah,
6: I'm over here. You know, I've discovered CoQ10, and I'm like, look, I am trying to even myself out. I'm not fucking with it because I can't. I can't. I think
2: it's a very. I I personally, I try to avoid it because I believe it's a social control technique. It's programming you to accept second class citizenship.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Are you broken, Pascal?
2: No, I don't watch the stuff.
1: I, 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 I mean, try not to, man, because it just fucks. It makes me mad. And what I hate more, I mean, I don't hate that more than the violence. But what pisses me off is when the shit happens and then a bunch of like rich Negroes come out and, and they start talking about that could have been me. It's like,
6: mm, no, it know. couldn't have been you, motherfucker.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, yeah right, oh,
6: right. It ain't finna be you.
1: <laughs> I, you know, like, is you that, like
3: that's geeky, where,
6: man.
3: um, and actually, the you know, like I talk about
6: the
2: whole oh. process controls black people into the illusion that they're all in this place. It's containment. The politics of containment. Oh, black folk are going through everything. Are all black people going through this? No. This is poor working class black folk. It's about containing racial emotion to be triggered at the drop of a Facebook video or TV TV show. TV showing. News showing. Mm -hmm. It's containment. Don't let yourself be emotionally contained by news.
3: You just told me I can't live my life, Pascal.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, that's real, though. That's real. And because, like, that thing, man, is like I watched I watch a video and it's like I'm shut down for hours.
6: See, are you an empath, Marcus?
2: i've been told him i don't know i'm not officially i don't know what that means you know in terms of raw numbers not proportion more whites are killed by cops why am i seeing more whites getting killed by cops if they can do it all the time They they, they, they wear cameras when they kill these white kids yeah yeah but you don't see that media we saw one latino kid get killed. People act like that's an anomaly. It happens all the time.
1: All the time.
3: But well, that's record, I mean there's just a video oh, yeah, yeah go, ahead, go ahead. There's a video that just came out of some 74-year-old white lady that got hemmed up, got roughed up by the cops. And like and that's the thing too is like yeah. Yeah, good. You know, cuz like at the end of the day, 16-year-old kid Getting shot with a in like who knows if he actually had the airsoft gun or not? I know there's a report that cops in Baltimore carry airsoft guns to drop after yep. they kill people. Yeah, you know, so like that's where it too is like people gotta understand. Yeah, instead of Black Lives Matter, should be hashtag None of Y'all Safe.
1: Hmm. Mm. Hmm. hmm. I like that a lot more
3: because it's only a matter of time. <coughs> You know, it's only a matter of fucking time. None of y'all are safe. They kill a 16-year-old 16 16 year white boy braces, yep. nerdy as fuck looking.
1: Yep. Dead. Dead. Dead.
3: Hemming up a white lady walking from a Walmart, 75-year-old white lady. None of y'all safe. None of y'all safe. And even that slogan, Black Lives Matter, hell no, motherfucker. And like, when people say, oh, white lives matter. Like, the fuck they do?
6: Body count <laughs> Ask a, no ask a blue matter. life.
5: Ask a no blue life, life if no you matter. No lives matter. Thank you. I no, lives matter. Thank you. no lives. Body
6: matter. body count told us no lives matter. None. you Ain't got money under this system. We will of throw capitalist. Up. Yes. Cis hetero bullshit. You don't matter. But throw, but as long as you are. Are aware, like Eli said in the chat, like if in a in a poor if you're poor white, your life doesn't matter either. We know that the people in this room, we are aware of that because we understand class conflict. But it's a whole lot of damn people that don't, and they don't understand. I'm more
2: interested in disarm the police than defund the police. Why don't we talk about how we? Why don't we just take guns off of traffic cops? Why do they need them? And just have maybe the SWAT team have guns? Why don't we? We don't need traffic cops yeah
3: else- i mean like that's like that's i think 100 you know and and like the, the when you these are all just policy these are the finer points of policy stuff that happen you know regardless of system because that's the thing people will talk about like well we needed you know abolish the police and then we set up an apparatus of communal safety mm-hmm. and then they just start describing of what We want the police to do, right? So it's not, you know, like, and, like, the people could, you could bring up, oh, hey, well, this was designed to be, you know, slave catchers. The Constitution was was written to be slave makers. (laughs) We got to deal with some of the shit that we got in front of us. Shit. We got to use some of the shit we have in front of us. And, like, absolutely. And, like, whatever you got to do, because that's what I think, you know, 100%. You're not allowed to make a traffic stop if you got a gun on your head. Yep.
1: Well, also too, like when we think about, someone asked this question before that was more of an abolitionist, and I and I can't remember where where I saw this interview, but this woman was like, "Do you not kill people because of the fear of going to prison, or do you not kill people because inside you you just don't want to?"
5: Ooh.
1: Like prison doesn't hasn't stopped a a, a, pol- a cop from giving somebody an ass whooping or a bullet. Prison hasn't stopped niggas from shooting each other and other people prison hasn't stopped the crime machine from moving at all so traffic cops are they really making the world a better place for school zones or are they making the world a better place for certain bottom lines of certain municipalities You know, Angela, you're in the South. You know better than I do. There's certain cities you just can't speed in because, you know, if you speed in that city, you will get pulled over and a ticket on the spot that you have to pay on the spot.
6: Let me South Carolina.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah. And this
3: is some of the shit, though, that's like it gets into the boring ass minutia, because why do I got to pay registration of my fucking vehicle? Oh, because the DMV. That the DMV has to, you know, some somehow the DMV's gotta be paid for. That teller on the other side that's making sure I got my license and this that, whatever, that salary has to come from something. The building, the water that's running to it, the bathrooms and shit, that comes out of oh, we gotta have registration and stuff like that. But why do I need a car?
2: You know, first of all, that's a very you know? good question. What is the functional purpose of having to register your car?
3: What, to what- to pay for the DMV. Mm-hmm. To make sure that there is a person there is a there is a piece of property that we have deemed so expensive that we worry about people taking it from others. So we want to make sure we can track it. But once we can track it, what well, how do we pay for it? Consumer cost. It's per per use consumer tax is your registration. In order to have a car, I need to make sure that the, the state can track it. To make sure that it, it can it's safe and some of these things were good right you like oh you know some, some my main is fucking to the roof with rules you know it's got to be efficient for, by these standards you know you don't see many hoopties driving around but all that goes into hey this going to the roads going to all these things but at the end of the day why do we need fucking individual cars? All of this shit can be avoided with a robust uh a uh, transportation system, hooking some people with some fucking bikes, walkable cities. Hello, there's answer to these things. And like uh, the thing, like the answer is it's all unnecessary. We don't need any of this shit. Why do we got to register our fucking car? Why do you got to make sure you got the fucking right recycling bins and all this fucking shit? And you get in trouble, you get hemmed up, you pay your fucking mailbox the wrong way in some neighborhoods, and you got motherfuckers knocking on your door. This land of the free. It's all worthless. And it's the system.
1: No, it look
2: this I'm libertarian like, Marcus.
3: <laughs> but,
1: but, but
3: at the end of the day, Why? man, it's like there, there's just a whole lot of bureaucracy that is just created off of nothing. It's just off a bunch of few people sniffing their own fucking farts and thinking it's smart.
2: And you and police black anarchists. <laughs>
3: actually i heard a very great story this is a uk anarchist so it was like from like late uh 1800s or something like that there's an observatory that was like calculating the time and shit and this dude tried to blow it up but there was an accident and he only blew himself up but he was literally he was like if i can stop time then these motherfuckers won't know when to go to work and this whole thing will fall apart uh hmm. but it didn't happen
1: that's some scary Marvel comic shit. Actually,
3: like this is the this is the anarchist energy that I'm about.
1: Whoa. <laughs> so, so before we go, I do want to say this on air. I like this isn't fucking with you, but you were a veteran, so I know you don't watch all the Marvel stuff, and I don't think Angela, I don't think you watch any Marvel stuff, right? Superhero shit, a
6: little
1: bit. Well, I know you got kids. Um,
6: I got a kid. That child is 27. Thank you, 27. <laughs>
1: Um, in in the new in the the new in the new Marvel series Falcon and the Winter Soldier they're all veterans and Hmm. they've been dealing with it's not the best (laughs) but they've been dealing with PTSD in one of them and so if you're not familiar with the Marvel Universe there's a man called US Agent that took over for Captain America when Captain America was like I don't like fucking with the state because you guys are on some stupid shit and I don't want to be part of it so the state creates this guy they call us agent so in the show this guy's supposed to be the new captain america and he is in the comics as well and us agent definitely doesn't have the, the the moral center that the steve rogers character has so anyway he kills a person with his shield literally decapitating someone of course they don't show it you just see a bloody shield and all these people have camera phones and so the government officials take him aside and they're like look you were a hero in afghanistan and iraq That's why we let you be Captain America, but you killed people and it doesn't look good for us from a foreign policy perspective. So we're not going to court martial you because of your exemplary history in Afghanistan and Iraq, but you're not going to what you were talking about before. They go, you're getting a less than dishonorable discharge and you're not going to have any of your benefits or your pension. And the dude breaks down and he goes, I did what you told me to do. I am what you made me. He literally says in his in his monologue back. He goes, "I am what you made me," and now you have a problem with this. Fuck out of here. So, I thought that was interesting. I definitely thought of you as I was watching it. Yeah, know, if you were watching the show, actually, I
3: you know I talked with this uh, is a uh, um, Isaiah James. He's running for uh, yeah. Congress in New York. Uh, well, yeah, for those of you who don't know. Isaiah James, brother running for Congress in New mm-hmm. York. Uh he's an army vet. And, and me and him, we go back and oh, forth. Was, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh man, the, the dude's been 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 rocked at three times. I think he's been like in like three different IUD explosions. Like oh, um, man. but uh no, this cat you we're know, talking to is like just the same way, but the opposite, right? Of like, I didn't go into the Marine Corps with this. I guess, responsibility, this feeling of responsibility, you know, to the people around me. You know, the Marine Corps gave me that. They're the one that made, you know, Semper Fi, never leave a Marine behind, you know, all that shit. When they made me take off the uniform, like it just applied to everybody at that point. Mm-hmm. I didn't, thanks, you know, like the Marine Corps made me this way. It, and it doesn't that, always have to be bad,
1: you know? It, and it was it was a pretty interesting show. It, it definitely had some I had some issues with some of the parts
3: of the all show. All right,
2: that like, dry head, come down. I know, nah, <laughs> man. But
1: like
3: that's the thing is like people like got you don't gotta take, you know, the military and all this fucking imperialist shit. Like there's some good shit that I like. That's why I'm mean, it was like, well, it's like, why doesn't why doesn't everybody give a fuck about everybody? Mm-hmm. Like y'all made me give a fuck about these redneck some bitches that didn't even look at me like a person, but I gotta mm-hmm. drag their asses when they fucking get hurt.
1: And that's, and that's actually why the US agent new Captain America character kills this man uh, in a pretty bloody fashion because his black partner gets killed. Mm. Loses his shit because it's his best friend. And there's some white boy savior shit in there too that I didn't really appreciate. Um, yeah, Joanna says Bucky acknowledges his white privilege in the show. So, And again, there is a, a, a series of comics that Marvel wrote About uh, as Steve Rogers was frozen in snow that they gave the super soldier serum to a bunch of black people they were building off the Tuskegee experiment so they literally mimicked what happened with the Tuskegee experiment how soldiers were given syphilis but in this they're given the super soldier serum and only one was able to be Captain America and he stole the suit and got arrested. And there's there's So they're putting him in the show. It's mildly interesting. There's definitely some issues with identity politics for the sake of identity politics. But when it comes to dealing with empire to a certain level, there's a scene where the Captain America character, who's in Europe, is talking about, I need to take this guy away. And then the Dora Milaje, who is Wakanda's uh, assassins, those black women, they're like, no he's our prisoner because he killed King T'Chaka he was uh, Black Panther's dad mm-hmm. and, and and Captain America laughs he goes ha, 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 you don't have jurisdiction here and they're like you don't have jurisdiction bitch
2: and then they go whoop his ass to the point where he starts crying it's really funny <laughs> listen to Pamela Davis you know what, with the Dora
6: Malaja. <laughs>
2: The Dora Melange. You could be a
6: Dora Melange. I'm if- due for a haircut, actually. And I, 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 I'm I, grateful for the Dora Milaje because for years, the first time I cut my hair, I was in high school. Do you know how much shit I got for this? You know, back in the 90s when people were like way less evolved than they are now. And it was just you know,
1: and the rest of the ve- development, the band, remember?
6: You, you know, I didn't even think about that. That was it. Yeah, I just I'm not a hair person, but you know, seeing that like, and I'm like, they're heroes. I walked out of Black Panther I'm like, say something now, bitch. <laughs> say something now. You, you say something now. Y'all don't want this. So, but there was a, a, a comment in the chat that I just wanted to like. Walkable cities are not neo, not liberal shit, sweetheart. That's socialist as fuck to say that you need to invest in in public transportation infrastructure and take the make cities where they are walkable, accessible to all people. That's not there's nothing lib about that baby. I, I just need to say that 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 annoyed me. It ain't liberal.
2: That suburban car culture was actually a Cold War politics that was actually designed to have Americans invest in capitalist purchasing, suburban living, all that stuff. It was all an anti-left, anti-communist Cold War strategy in terms of urban planning oh, man but
3: then that's like i mean i feel like it even goes back to like how do you you know the turned like the through through world war ii is like you had this huge uh manufacturing base you know and when you needed to stop making so many planes trains you know all that war effort shit what do you do with it oh let's make cars
1: joe biden's gonna give us a train station in uh las vegas in here as part of the infrastructure plan.
3: I thought that was Elon Musk under under the ground hyperloop.
1: No. What are you eating? You're eating crackers. Mm. Are you hungry? Phoenix says it's time to go. Are you? What do you want me to
6: do? Take my two badass dogs out.
1: Thank you guys very much for joining us today. We went longer than I thought we were gonna go. Thank you, uh Angela, for okay. Here.
2: And so you gotta join us on the weekends, sister girl.
6: It is an utter pleasure. I mean, this is this is fun, and I don't have a lot of fun in my life. So, yeah, I I I will be here. Any child, any any child. I'm looking at the chat. Oh, um, <laughs> Eli saying, feed the child. Anytime that I am him. able to be here, I will be more than happy to. It I is it. it's I an gotta, honor.
1: I gotta go feed this boy. Feed and, the like, baby. Uh, because I do this show, it's early in the morning for me. Everyone else you see on the show has woken up before I did because they all live in the Eastern time zone. They had their coffee and tea, they had grits and shit.
5: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <You know> Who? <what? laughs> Who had grits?
3: Pascal, look at him. You nah, grits in your chin. Man, I had hot yogurt and a cold baker.
1: Ah. Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> oh. oh, that
3: hurt. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, Uh, shit. There you go. I'm a jackass, but I
6: really appreciate that.
1: All right. Well, hot. somebody questions your hot That's uh, that's Marcus's nickname for... (laughs) uh, (laughs)
5: It's
1: It's junk. It's junk. He calls it the hot yogurt machine. Oh, Jesus. Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
6: done. done. I am not. I'm done with (laughs) y'all. <laughs> I'm done with y'all ass.
1: When he turns off the camera, he just yells it out to the house. Oh, no, I do not. No, I do not. He's
3: Nobody ready believes
6: hot- that, Marky. Yeah. Nobody well, believes it.
1: How do yeah. I shut this stream down from this side of it?
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pascal is scared. Yes, you should be scared, Pascal, because when hot yogurt is ready. Oh, to go-
3: man,
5: come on. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
3: Ladies and gentlemen, next up on stage. Hot
2: yogurt,
6: <laughs> mm, mm, we ever mm, do a mm, show mm, on mm, sex mm, work? I got y'all. I am a former stripper, so
2: oh, damn, I just my attention just like peaked. <laughs>
1: Speaking of hot yogurt, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus,
2: well, oh. all of my skills <laughs> I learned
6: on a pole. We'll talk about that one day.
1: Oh. we got to get souls to the pole, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah,
1: on the pole. <laughs> oh, oh, you been voting? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my bad. <laughs> did
3: you did you see that or like did what? Can you did you see that ad? Pamela Davis
2: says she's getting the poll. Oh my god, Jason, you got what, it.
5: Oh yeah, yes.
3: I don't know what she's gonna do with it other than beat me with it. Did you see the get your booty to the polls and, and can you say what you thought about
2: that? Well, yeah, that ad? The booty to, yeah, the strip the, the voting the voting commercial. Yeah, was, yeah I haven't
6: seen I don't own a television, so it I came was of, I used I used the I internet
2: video. commercial. It was terrible, it was <laughs> ridiculously it was hilarious.
6: I thought it was hilarious. Was it like tacky?
2: Yes. Yes.
3: Did it work?
1: It, I mean, I don't,
0: I don't know the know.
3: answer, but
1: Is that is that what Homegirl was doing, Stacey Abrams?
3: No,
5: taking Negroes
1: to the strip club. I know. That's why them laws changed in Georgia.
6: Hey, (laughs) the shit could be effective. Negroes can't have pussy incentives. Hey, you'd be surprised. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying. You would be surprised. surprised. I'm trying to tell you it's not is it's not what people think it is there's a lot of a lot of nuances in the strip club a whole lot of them
2: they do business in the strip club in south florida
6: they do business in them everywhere look pascal
1: quit you over here spilling all the kinds of tea we can't (laughs) talk about this they're gonna shut us down for other shit i'll be mad if i get shut down because we was talking about illegal sex activities we over here talking about overthrowing a man
4: Why'd you get No,
6: sugar? you can get like a steak dinner. At, there was one in the uh, strip club next to the and I don't know if it's still there. But when I drove Greyhound, the main terminal where we took our buses, there's a strip club next. to it. you get a steak dinner, the whole nine like it's a, West it's, Virginia it's a club
1: a, called Sugars. Yeah. You get a steak and a potato for uh, seven fifty
6: and i mean you do people do business in there i mean it's it's where you go there's no stigma it's to that san francisco
1: we have that here uh there was a place called the gold club where they had it's the only buffet in san francisco actually
6: that's what's up so but I
1: mean,
6: yeah that's a whole, whole yeah, he meant business story. i thought he
1: meant business like you can get business like
6: but yeah miss pamela <laughs> will we'll talk about i just stocks some, and I
1: bonds just, and
3: shit yeah he meant like, just, real business
1: well,
6: thank awesome. you guys all. Go
1: I'm, I'm going to call this stream because there is a little beige child that needs me to make him
6: some food. Right now. <laughs> hey, Phoenix. Phoenix want
1: to say goodbye to everybody? Bye-bye. He did. Peace. Peace. All right. And
5: Peace. we